Welcome back to WTF and Von Adil, a decent show about FFXI content wrapped in a lot of ego stroking and sneering at players that don't meet our standards with Spicy and... Uh, the Vod's Danger. And our guest today is... Marius. What was that? <laughs> what? I don't know. He said his name, man. Oh, he just sounded like he was doing some sort of thing. I didn't, I didn't know. I don't know. It kind of, in my mind... Combined with you know Age of Empires, the the priests Wallalow, and today we're going to be talking about <laughs> samurai lore. There we go. Uh, yeah, samurai lore, not samurai. So if you're here to learn about if you should R15 this or that, you're in the wrong place. Uh, today it will be all lore based because we're going to get back to lore for the second time in history, and hopefully we don't go on about Beastmaster. Right. I don't think we will. I, I think I can control myself for once. So, uh, headlines of the week here, you know, worst thread of the week on Reddit is uh, Who is Spicy Ryan by Batcher. Thank you for that. And other Reddit news here. The reviews are in for episode 49 and the pot, or this is 49, episode 48 and the podcast in general. Chortle123 says, it honestly is the worst drivel imaginable. Why not me, not you, says, Spicy is a masterclass in terribly boring person. And the super user, or Ifianis, uh, Ifianasa, Ifianasa, that Agamemnon's daughter of Odin here, says, This is the dullest podcast ever produced. I dare anyone to suffer through just 10 minutes of it. So those are the review Wait, stocks. Did that one guy say that you were a masterclass comma? No, 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 just spicy as a masterclass and terribly boring person. That makes a lot of grammatic sense. What are you a masterclass of? In terribly boring person. Oh, I just misunderstood what you said. Okay, okay. Uh, y- yeah, sure, man. I'm glad we got those five-star reviews in. I have not checked iTunes because I don't check iTunes, but I bet you there is something there, too. Maybe one day we'll check. Someday. I don't know. I, uh, I possibly could not care less. Possibly. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to be blunt about it. I just think it's hilarious. Oh, man. So how are you, Fox? Um, I'm a little under the weather today. I've been doing a lot of like programming related requests lately. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it is what it is. I, I figured when when Blue Spoons asked me if I figured there'd be a difference between Doom and Curse, uh, if they oh. weren't the same ID, maybe there is another. But I didn't think it was going to be this master class in making something difficult. No, no, it, it's because I'm I'm just a novice at Lua. Like I seem a lot more proficient at things than I am. And that's just because I understand algorithms and how to write basic coding structure. Um, But Lua itself and how like your self itself works and stuff like that. uh, I I don't really know a whole lot about all of the inner workings. Like I know like the brief overview of it, but I could not teach you in master class. Not in that anyway. Um, But no, honestly, it's, it's good for me to do those kind of like uh, programming things where, you know, I have to, go figure something out i don't actively like know how to do it uh because it does simulate the sort of stuff that you run into in the field like if you don't know something then you just got to go figure it out and uh actually I, I enjoy those sorts of things so it's it's no big deal i don't mind people asking me that uh when i do mind people asking me is when they send me like direct messages about whether or not they should use a, a certain piece of gear over another piece of gear when it's something oh, like you get those yourself oh all the fucking time and uh i i don't i, I don't know i i, I don't I don't know how to just, I mean, I guess I should just start saying figure it out because it's good for you to figure it out, not just because I want to be a douche or lazy about it. But I mean, there, there, comes, there comes a point where, you know, you got to figure your own stuff out in some points, guys. 
I'm not here to tell you what to equip. I would get those, um, those gear messages from Arfree about Dragoon on Osiris, so I blacklisted him because Arfree would oh. ask me what to wear in Dragoon, then turn around and start murking shit. So, yeah, I'm not going to help you in the slightest to go murk stuff. Fuck you. Yeah. People need to know the difference between, like, asking someone, like, what piece of gear to wear and asking clarifying questions about why they should wear a piece of gear. Um, because one of them implies that you've at least done some research or you fundamentally understand why your job works the way it does. And that's going to make you a better player. So it's not really to berate anyone in particular, um, but that's the sort of thing that makes me really fucking sad. Forty nine episodes in, where I talk about how to do that the whole time, and I just don't get listened to. Basically, well, that's because you're ego stroking and sneering at players that don't meet your standards. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ego stroking. You guys, uh, you guys definitely know that I, I love to win. Daddy's love. <laughs> got to parse. Got to got to post those parses after I smash noobs, right? I'm one of those. Guys. Doesn't that half the Discord? You just posting your parses, right? No, the other half. The other half's brigading. I don't think anyone in the Discord actively knows like what, what my DDs parse at. I don't think anyone really knows. My, my my own static barely knows. I'm almost never on them. Only Felgar knows, and he has to search his uh his extensive caverns of uh, documents oh. that he keeps because he records every log at any moment he plays in the game and has to search through those caverns to find your average data extrapolated out of your average expiation or something and without any context. It's pretty ridiculous. And, and, and like when people like throw these kinds of comments at the podcast in general, like I can only assume that it implies both of us, even though I know that they're probably just mad at you for something you said. But honestly, guys, you gotta you gotta figure out like like who to direct your anger at and you know who to talk to when you're when you're having these kinds of anger issues because it's it's not healthy in the long run you, you can be better people i promise so about that mental health episode also i'm looking down on them anyway and that segues into into how i'm doing so <laughs> how are you doing ah i'm doing pretty well um hold on are we 10 minutes in because i have a beer is like is there a timer for that now i don't know it was a, it was a thing too in the reddit it was apparently 10 minutes in beer turned it off uh so the beer today is a fruit beer and honest in honor of vettius here you know we had to had to bring the fruit beer back because it's mandatory it is from great notion brewing it is blueberry muffin a tart ale with blueberry and it has a hungry drooling bear in the oregonian woods here High noon, almost. It looks like the sun might be setting. Juggling muffins while licking his chops. So, very apt description. And it is not a bad beer. It is actually a very tasty beer. It smells like, uh, like blueberry toaster strudel. Well, it certainly sounds a lot better than what, what you have last time. The combination of oh, seawater and oh, coconut milk. Oh yeah, seawater. Yeah, it was, it was coconut truffle, dark chocolate, sea salt, vanilla, and. 10% alcohol is just all combined to be the worst thing since Hitler. Sounds like something you'd make if you were forced to on a desert island somewhere, you know, to cobble something together with whatever you could find. I need alcohol with flavor. Any flavor will do. It smells like delicious coconut, but everything else is so wrong. <laughs> it goes terribly wrong. The flavor profile. She told me to eat her booty. I didn't think it'd end up like this. Ooh. Ow. It's okay to do that in the heat of the moment, as we know. When are they making the third one of those movies? Oh, I don't know, man. I'm waiting for it. Wait, what movie is this? Clerks. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Our boy over in Red Bank is supposed to be working the third one after many, many years. Let's see. 
I just don't know how, like, without getting a new cast, like, how that other cast is, how the original cast is going to translate through to that. Like, I, I don't know how much of the magic will be gone. Well, he did make Tusk the movie, so, you know. Boy. <laughs> so, personally, I'm doing all right. Uh, the beer is one thing. Uh, I, I didn't want to get a hard one. It had to be, you know, had to respect the guest's time today. Not the listeners, though. Uh, otherwise, I'm doing fine. Obviously, I have no static now, so I'm a lonely hermit who's uh, enjoying his quiet time. It's nice to just wake up and, you know, the first thing I'm doing is having a Pellegrino a little bit hung over in the kitchen, just looking out the window and just looking at, like, the tree and the leaves flowing in the wind and thinking about how I'm going to make some waffles or something and just, you know, that inner peace I always talk about. I've got it. So I'm doing all right in that regard. In the game, I did a divergence with... Uh, the foxy danger here even though oh that's right <laughs> yes we did i was on puppet master in spicy guess what chicken butt what i i did not win that parse ah uh, well the problem is you didn't buff only yourself up that way you could win the parse i lost the parse by 0.2 percent i beat a dragoon using empyrean weapon who wasn't in the main dd party <laughs> yeah, the only reason I'm bringing that up that is, is because of the absurdity. But yeah, it, it was uh, it was actually a fairly fun run. Um, I thought they were going to do a lot worse than they did, honestly. Same. That's why I hadn't come before, because I didn't want to waste my time. Well, if you had gone to the other run that I had gone to, you would have probably felt that way. Um, that run was really made possible because of Abject and Orcris being heroes and being unbarred. Yeah, those are only buffers. Otherwise, there, yeah, there wouldn't have been any. There's no Geo. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bunch of DDs and like occasionally there's white mages. It's a pretty safe time to go blue mage. Oh yeah, that's right. How are you like in blue mage? That's your new your new favorite job now, isn't it? Uh, it was really fun during that dynamis run. Um, it, it's actually been fun every time I've gotten onto it recently, and I I like it a lot more than I used to. Um, right now I'm a one trick pony when it comes to just savage blading things for like melee DPS. So I need that's to all you do anyway. Get better at other stuff. Yeah, I I know, but. I, I, I do want to make a Tizona, though, so I at least can expand what I can solo. Um, I think that would be fun, too. I like all the... I lo- like I really like all like the buffs and debuffs that I can provide the parties and stuff in a pinch. And uh, the crowd control felt really good, especially in, like, you know, dealing with a newer group in Dynamics, and they weren't really accustomed to, to dealing with that many mobs and, like, botch pulls and stuff. Um, it, was, uh, it was definitely pretty fun. Dynamis is the most natural setting to bring a blue for their maximum effectiveness of more than DDing uh, since uh, In Her Yar. That was probably, you know, the other only other event that like blue really stood out in at the time uh, for the crowd control aspect being very important. Yeah, a lot of people really lean on bards, and I mean it makes sense because there's no MP cost, and you you can just spam lullaby and stuff like that. Just sometimes your bards are busy, and you know sometimes you just need an extra person who's paying attention to also be able to do those things. You don't always have to win the parse; you just have to make sure that you kill the content, right? So just kill the content. But yeah, it was pretty cool, man. So, Vettius, how about you? Oh, I've been all right. Uh, just doing a lot of writing lately, um, trying to get more work done on this dissertation. Um, other than that, I had a. A friend whose guppy had some fry, and so now I'm raising a tank of guppy. Who is that? What it's called to have uh, a spawning of of fish? Is a, a yes. So the fry. Oh my god! I did not know that. <laughs> I just clicked. that's almost as good as murder. It just clicked <laughs> in my head. That's 
pretty great, actually. Yeah. And I know the Discord has a lot of cat people, you know, current company included. Um, but it's it's interesting. Like I've had dogs before. Um, fish are an interesting. They're, they're a different experience because you're now you're really manipulating their environment and trying to make it as pleasing as possible to them. Yeah. So it's like trying to take control of the nitrogen cycle, stuff like that. You don't have to really worry about with a cat. Well, don't you try to make the same for a dog or a cat? You know, trying to make a comfortable environment for them. Yeah, but it's like roughly the human environment plus some toys and, you know, bodily functions. I'll yeah, tell if you. you have to worry about the uh, nitrogen cycle in your house, you're probably having a problem. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to keep the box clean. You know, I got to let my cats outside because they demand to go outside. I, I have the cat shelves built into the wall and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's a little more than, you know, put cat in a room, feed cat, go to sleep, you know. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Speaking of which, the cicadas, man. Oh. Not a problem by you, Vettius? Oh, yeah, I got some out my window here. Dude, they're just screaming outside my house all day. So I let the cat out and brought one in, and the next thing I know, <laughs> it's just out for a second, it comes dashing with one in its mouth, and it's just beating this thing up around the house for the next 20 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I used to have those uh, all the time in, like, summers and stuff in Virginia, back when I used to live over there. Does Washington not have cicadas? No, we don't. Uh, we we actually like you almost never really see insects around in like most places. It's kind of strange, actually. It wow. is because you're more like I don't want to say more wilderness, but you're less developed than the East Coast. Yeah, I'm surrounded by like green belts and forests and stuff like all over the place. Yeah, so you'd think they'd be all out and about, but they're really not. I don't know. I guess I don't really go outside looking for bugs, but it's just <laughs> I would notice. Like, yeah, I, like I remember like Virginia. Like I live in Virginia Beach. Like, like like the south south of Virginia Beach and uh, like we had like fireflies and uh, cicadas all that stuff and uh, out here no and, in fact we had like bees and wasps and stuff and like oh, I almost never see bees or anything out here it's really, really crazy I just get pollinated yeah every everything is lush like it, it's definitely not a desert like I, I live near Seattle so <laughs> yeah I, I don't know you just never see it I guess it's kind of strange. Okay, so I had a Japanese teacher who uh, who could do the sounds of all of the different cicada cries. What? And you know, from the cicadas in Japan, it was quite something. Like, how do you do that? Is that that like special whistling? Like, maybe like that kind of thing. (laughs) Just like that, huh? I uh. (laughs) All right, man. I'm no specialist. Well, I didn't expect you know like uh, uh. a one-for-one reenactment of it, but that was pretty awesome. I have questions. Oh, I bet you do. So many questions. So, what was that noise? Just so I can be clear. It was supposed to be a, a cicada call? Oh, no, no. I, I knew what you were trying to do. I just hadn't heard it since I tried to, like, you know, make that last Blue Pea song in terms of, uh, you know, quality of noises from a mouth. Oh, not the blue peas. Oh, oh, like making noises is in it. You, <laughs> you sound like Nigel Thornberry there for a second. Oh, my God. Blast from the past. Speaking of a blast from the past, how do we get into Samurai here? Oh, that guy had a mustache, too. Anyway. <laughs> Wait, what? Are you talking about your teacher's mustache? Yeah. Well, I, you know, thinking about Nigel Thornberry, and then my teacher also 
had a mustache. I don't know. Maybe there's a connection. Okay. What was your teacher's name? Masahiko. Okay. So, you know, Nigel Masahiko, you know, close. Yeah. Uh, the impossible segue. So Samurai. Yeah. Besides Discord's dropping out tonight and be annoying, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be impossible to deal with. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So you have your whole dissertation in Japanese. I mean, I, I mean, it's your second time on now, but I, not something I've recalled by heart. Well, yeah, I kind of cross different countries. I mostly work on China, Japan, and Taiwan. Theoretically, I'm a China specialist, but I also do a lot of Japan stuff, basically. And I did my research here in Japan. Um, okay. So, is there like a specific reason you would do the research in Japan as opposed to China? If you're, if you're like China, if you're a China specialization specifically, like that was really hard to fathom out my brain. Yeah. Well, Japan has a lot of documents from all over, including China, because of their attempted empire. Uh, so you can actually get most of, well, for my project, anyway, I can get most of what I need in Japan instead of actually having to go to China to, you know, look at the same copies of something. No, oh, okay. Um, but then I also get the Japan stuff. So it's really, really good place to do uh, cross-border research. Um, I was originally going to go to China. You know, I've been to China and Taiwan, of course, like, you know research trips before but on this most recent one i was going to go but then COVID happened and yeah borders i got you so like when it comes to like the information you know about stuff like the topic today like that is more along the lines of like hobby related things that, that you have to know about not like any kind of historical research that you have to do otherwise because i imagine like what we're going to talk about today doesn't really tie into china too much or you know yeah well basically i'm my plan is to apply for jobs in both so i could be either a china historian or japan historian oh okay. um yeah so you know it depends on what sort of how the dice roll goes with that uh but as part of our training we have to read about 200 books to 300 books for an oral exam uh and divided into major fields so it's i uh, did like modern china modern japan early modern england and uh, it's basically in order to train us to be able to teach a class on a particular subject. Okay, that makes sense. And yeah. And so for Japan, I did my field in about 1600 to 1970s. So I've, you know, I've read a lot of the literature on that broad time period and then I actually um, helped teach a class on um, what we call Japan's Great Peace, which is the Tokugawa area from 1600 to 1868. So it really ties into what we're talking about today. We even had a, a section on the origins of the samurai. I don't know the origins of the samurai besides just being a, you know, uh, a country at war uh, divided into factions. That's all I know. So that's, that's all anyone knows, I think, pretty much in terms of general samurai history. Right. And I think it's actually, you know, thinking about it, thinking about the technologies that were available at that time. It's actually most out of sync with what we would think of as samurai, right? Because we think of samurai, and we'll get into it later on in the episode. We think of the sword, the sword, the bow, and the pole arm. And you know, for much of this warring states period, which was basically the 16th century, uh, there were actually a lot of guns and cannons and things like that. It's not necessarily as traditional as we think. 
I thought there was uh because the only thing that I know about was like there was like a period with like swords were outlawed or something. Like, that was the I, I had no idea era. that. Oh, okay. Everyone's yeah, watched well, Hironi Kenshin. I, um, oh, I guess that is where that's from, huh? No, actually, I uh, I just that's just something I picked up at some point, probably from that. I just didn't remember. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like I I wouldn't even like it doesn't even I don't even put one two and two together for you know whether or not like cannons were used or anything like that. Because like I can't really like think about any major wars that I ever learned about that they were in aside from like the obvious ones like World War Two. So they did have a, quite the war with Russia. Yeah, that was that was quite something. And then the war with the Qing Empire, of course, which is really what put them on the map and where they got a lot of money to modernize. They basically asked the, they told the Qing Empire to give them a bunch of silver. And it was enough for, uh, I forget the, the exact multiple, but it was several times the government's annual income that they received as reparations for the war that they had started. And I know yeah. we'll, we'll eventually tie this into the game, but this is obviously not. But is the reason that they had silver because of uh, historically in China, I know from the opium wars that they only accepted silver as currency from the British or whatever? Well, yeah, and silver was the legal tender. It, might, it was the most common uh, commonly used form of exchange or currency, uh, you could say. And so most of the silver uh, actually originally came from Japan. So Japan had silver mines uh, up until the 17th century. But then after that, uh, when you had the exploration of the new world of uh, North and South America, a lot of it came from Peru. And the funny thing is that in the 18th and 19th centuries, if you were to go into the Chinese countryside, especially in the 19th century, uh, the most common unit of currency was the Mexican silver dollar. <laughs> wow. It just shows you how you know, connected global trade was even back then. And how many pesos is that? No, I don't know. I'm not even sure if they had pesos back then. No, they, they probably would not have pesos back then because they had a silver coin. Yeah. And like Spain had the peseta. So um, how tied to the game samurai and things they do outside of just like, you know, I'm sure the traditional armor and AF everyone's seen. That's obviously the traditional samurai ceremonial thing. Because, I mean, samurai didn't always wear that, right? So. I mean, it's going to say, how, how tied to the game is Samurai's lore? So it's, it's pretty tied to the game. Um, I think it's tied in the sense that it's the image of the Samurai that they wanted to project of themselves, basically translated into the game. So the, those armorers, uh, those, you know, the grand armor sets with the big helmets and things like that, yeah, they usually didn't wear them. Um, and in fact, for about 200 years, the only time, you know, between 1600 and the mid-19th century, the only time people would wear them would be for ceremonies. Or maybe they would just keep them in their living room, um, so no one would actually use them in battle. And that was because Japan didn't have any war for about that period of time. So if you think about, you know, these warriors, Japan was ruled by a class of warriors, the samurai. Um, and I think, you know, maybe we should start back there and, and talk about the origins of the samurai and then get to some of the stuff. But okay, yeah, okay. go for it. Yeah. Um, so originally, Japan's armies were basically just peasant recruits, farmer recruits, um, up until the 12th or 13th century, creating their own estates. Uh, they were, you know, uh, they basically called them gardens. Uh, they used the title of garden because gardens were tax exempt so they just created these huge gardens that were actually you know uh, 
many square miles of farm, and they hired samurai to be their, uh, you know, mercenaries to fight. And then, uh, you know, one of the big causes, um, or one of the really big things that happened to develop the samurai was in the 13th century, you had the uh, attempted Mongol invasions. And it's actually, you know, the case where um, it's one of the few Mongol defeats in their, you know, original expansion across Eurasia. Um, they tried to send, you know, they sent two, they had two attempts to try to invade Japan. Um, it's actually, if you look at the letter that Kublai Khan sent to Japan, it's pretty funny. It's like, you know, I've, I've conquered all of this stuff and you should pay tribute to us. It would be bad if things came to arms. Oh shit! He pulled the old "It'd be terrible if you had an accident" line. You know, be, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be very unfortunate if some unfortunate circumstances happened to befall you. Right, like old school mafioso kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. I guess it's like older school in this case. Right. Yeah. Even older school. It would be a great shame. Oh, it'd be so terrible. And so they they sent two fleets. You know, the first fleet um, arrived in southern Japan, Kyushu. Uh, and then there was a big storm. Oh, oh, uh, oh I know this story called now. the Divine Wind. Yes, mm -hmm. the tsunami. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kamikaze. And so, you know, kamikaze, which we know later on from the suicide pilots, right? It was the, originally um, what they called the great storm that uh, blew away the Mongol fleet. Uh, and so the Mongols were failed in their first attempt to, to conquer Japan. And then they came back a few years later. Um, but this time, the Japanese had done a lot of preparation. And, so, and this is where you sort of see um, a lot of the uh, improvements in weaponry in Japan uh, between the two Mongol invasions. So they created these walls, um, and you can still actually walk them in, in Fukuoka. Uh, they're the walls to repel the Mongol bandits, um, as a direct translation. And they, uh, you know, they, they have these walls because the Mongols are on horses, and horses don't do very well with 25 foot walls and um, then they improve their swords uh, their sword making steel making techniques greatly because the mongols had uh, armor that the, you know, the japanese found really bad at, at piercing with their swords and so it was a big revolution in sword making um, and then the mongols came back and you know it's actually a little bit uh, more debate these days about whether there was a second divine wind i mean so there was another storm when the mongols came back but um, it's, the debate is whether it was actually necessary for the Japan, the Japanese to, to beat back the Mongols. Then. So the first one was, right? Without the, the first kamikaze, they would probably have been uh, turned into a vassal state. Yeah, it was, it's very possible. But, but, you know, the Mongols, the Mongols were not too good at sea, you know, uh, sea battles. So their, their other failure, you know, they had, I think, three failures of conquest. Their other failure... In Asia was Java. They tried to conquer Java, and they were also pushed back. And then had to be that coffee. in Eurasia, yeah, it, the Java berserker. How you can tell I'm a nerd is like I immediately thought programming language. No, no, because um, <laughs> I recently watched the extra credits on coffee, and it came from the Middle East, and then there were some some issues. So they ended up getting it from a news source, and it ended up being uh, Java, which is why we still call it a you know Java today. Oh, I get you. I actually never knew yeah, that. You know, the, the most dangerous place in the world in you know 
crew was uh, Jakarta because the Dutch tried to make it like Amsterdam. So they put in all these nice canals, uh, made a really beautiful city. But unlike Amsterdam, uh, it has endemic malaria. So what they did is they just increased the mosquito oh, breeding. <laughs> uh, that's some monkey's paw shit. Oh, that's cursed. Montezuma's revenge. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, but so I, but I think that it, it's very possible that uh, they would have lost. Uh, you know, Japanese would have lost the first time if they didn't have the kamikaze. And then we would have had um, no although, Final the, Fantasy like eleven. And then we would have had no Reddit subreddit for eleven. And then we would have had no spicy Ryan. And you know, yeah, it's amazing how the uh, how the winds have changed blow like that. Huh? Yeah, thanks Mongols. Mm-hmm. Blame it on the Mongols. <laughs> yeah, man. So when I when I think about like samurais and stuff, like the the main picture that comes to my mind, and I, I guess uh, probably to the minds of a lot of people, like I can't assume everyone, is that you know they're just like mystical swordsmen with uh, and, and mystical is really loose. Like I don't mean like magic based or anything, just like have that that Arab mystique to them. Um, and like uh, the, the swords they had were, were just all incredibly well forged and uh, something something you know unpeered swordsmen you know sort of thing like in duels and stuff and later on i had found out that honestly like they didn't even like waste their time pulling their swords out all the time that's their mitsurugi style yeah isn't it that uh they would rather just like shoot you with a bow instead like like any practical person waging war the fox as a samurai you know i'm just gonna stab you with this spear forget this thing yeah it's like the indiana jones thing right shooting a guy with <laughs> wielding sword yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do what makes the most sense, right? As far as I recall, that was not part of the script. And after like a big uh, rehearsal or whatever, he just decided um, to pick up the gun and shoot. <laughs> but I, I could Ford. be wrong there. Yeah, that's very Harrison Ford. I could be wrong there. But if, if I if the rumors in my mind are correct, then that was uh, something along those lines. Yeah, I've heard that story too. You know, it's it's because the sword. I think it it's really the case in a lot of different places in Europe as well. Um, you know, fencing, uh, swordsmanship really gets uh, a lot of the prestige. romantic mystique, the prestige. Yeah, because you know, sword is is very hard to forge. It you know you need really good steel. You need someone who's able to forge it into the right length to balance it properly. It takes a lot of really, you know, great craftsmanship and a lot of expense to, to create a, a really good sword. And this was before, like, power hammers and stuff like that, too. Right. You know, just imagine them hammering over and over, quenching, you know, adding heat again, hammering again. It's really, uh, you know, quite an involved process. But at the end of the day, sword is very limited range. You know, it's good for very close combat, but um, there are other tools that can help you kill a person before they even get to you. So it's probably better to lean on those first before you have to pull out the sword. Yeah, any sane person. And it's a status symbol thing, too, because uh, we all know why horses are, are great in battle, because they provide that extra mass and power and, and, and uh, leverage and stuff they provide. But you wouldn't use a sword to take down a horse, and it's, you know a lot more affordable and easier to train the average person, whether it's Europe or Japan, to use a pike, a halberd, uh, you know, some sort of polearm, which I imagine is why, uh, besides historically being a weapon of, you know, good utility and, and low cost to do, 
why samurai has that extra polearm skill is because that's what they also used like the rest of the world because it's practical affordable and it's a better weapon against a, a horse or something that's more dangerous to you than uh you know a sword right and they're actually woodblock prints of the mongol invasions where they have the samurai hoisting mongol heads on polearm so it was <laughs> a very practical weapon that was the impulse especially drive. with like a cavalry charge you know Actually, if you really look at historical sword fighting, like their sword fighting technically was a lot prettier than than most. Um, like if you look at like medieval sword fighting, I don't know how much you, you know about that, but like if you look at like the really old school ones where like swords were like originally around and stuff like that, like long, long time ago, it was more like wrestling with a blade. Like people were, were just like manhandling these things in like terrible ways. And like it, it was not this like fancy parry repost thing that uh, that fencing really gave way to. It was just like really ugly. Well, you know, imagine it, it has to be a rough and tumble, especially if, you know, it's two knights. You think of them, they're fully decked out in plate armor. You're not going to be able, to, you know, unlike the movies, you're not going to be able to just poke through the armor and kill them. Yeah. It's actually a very long and drawn out process. You've got to damage them. You're probably going to try to incapacitate them. It's going to be a lot of wrestling. You know, you would see with like these. If you look at online, like these videos of, you know, certain styles of martial arts against each other, you know, you know, they, they start out with, you know, the Mantis style and they do their little thing. And then at the end of the match, they're really just like wrestling and punching each other because that's really all it comes down. Yeah. Well, standoffish stuff, especially when you're like trying to use a blade to deflect a blade, you have to think about how much like mass, how, not, not just mass, but like how much area like, like and volume blades take up. And like when you're trying to deflect something that's coming at, in at you at high speed, like if it is sharp or something like that, like trying to deflect it away harmlessly, it's it's a lot more dangerous to just like try to deflect it with your sword on top of the damage you'll do to your sword when you do it, too. Like I, I've, right. I've looked into it just a little bit, like I know a little bit about it, like I'm not any kind of like professional, like knowledge wise with this stuff. But I know that it's not like all what you see in like movies and stuff like that. That's actually like some pretty rare, rare shenanigans that go down. So yeah. actually see people sword fighting. On the rough and tumble thing, it made me think also, not that I know anything about medieval history because I'm not Ruo or Vedius or someone, but wasn't uh, the Misery Accord, the Misery Accord, the, that narrowed, long, short, stubby dagger used to kind of just, like pierce beneath, between plates of armor or whatever to kind of just kill uh, a guy in a suit of armor because you had to get in between the gaps in the armor, like beneath the arm or, you know, something like that just to... Uh, you need like a narrow, small dagger to pierce, and that was more practical than any other weapon. Right. But, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, you wouldn't... I mean, it, it really depends. So sometimes, yes, you would want to kill the other party, but in a lot of cases, when they, when knights were fighting, they really wanted to capture the other knight, because then you could ransom them well, and you yeah. get money. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't know that part. Yeah, that's... That, that makes way more sense than just kill them. To my, my other limited history recollection, during the Hundred Years' War, the French were so upset because the English longbowmen indiscriminately mowed down knights, and you didn't kill knights in battle and nobles in battle, because one, you didn't do it, and two, uh, all that money that you could have ransomed back, they just indiscriminately mowed them down in the mud with the, the, the Welsh longbowmen. Oh, uh, Yes, I think. Yeah. Which should have been a French victory, but, you know, they're French. <laughs> well they were all like, piled together going into this narrow valley and then you had the English longbowmen who could basically stand at range and shoot at them and then they all just sort of 
falling on each other and it just didn't end well. It's like, you know, the Battle of Cannae, you know, with uh, Hannibal versus the Roman Republic. So they had all of these, you know, the Romans had all of their um, nobles, you know, ready to fight. But at the end of the day, Hannibal got them into this, you know, formation, this bow-shaped formation and surrounded them and then killed them all. Um, because, you know, they just piled up on top of each other and were, you know, not, not doing too well. It's like a, a big drunken frat party. <laughs> so in terms of samurai also gets bow as well. Um, so how does that tie into history of samurai? Having, because they did obviously use them, but how, you know, was it just peasants use bows? Was there a special bow corps of people trained in just the use of the bow? Like, you know, the English longbowmen or something or? No, I think I think this is actually somewhere where SC uh, fits relatively closely with history, in the sense that samurai could use all three weapons, and so bow is one of the ones they use. Uh, there still uh, actually are people who who practice horseback archery and things like that. Um, it's one of the basic martial arts skills that that samurai were expected to know. Um, and you know, but bow, yeah. So here's the. The thing, this is why when I say, you know, the 16th century, you had, you know, you had bowmen, you know, bow is, bow is a very effective weapon um, in someone, in someone who's trained, in the arms of someone who's trained. Um, and it was much more powerful than guns until you had the rifle in the mid 19th century, because, you know, flintlocks were very inaccurate. They didn't do as much damage. It just wasn't a very good option. But, you know, you could put a flintlock into the hands or a blunderbuss into the hands of anyone. And they could just point it and shoot. Um, and so it's like a very easy force multiplier. If you have enough of guns, you, know, you just shower the other side with uh, bullets, and then you, you're probably likely to hit them. It's the fox rule. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, just overwhelming numbers to do it. I was just was thinking overwhelming make, numbers of guns. I was just thinking use math and logic to your advantage in applying force in the correct way to get enough leverage to guarantee yourself a win. Yeah, aim aim shrapnel backed by explosions at your opponent, and you will probably win. You got it. But they didn't give samurai any marksmanship, so there's no guns. No, there's no guns. Because I guess they're not as romantic. Yeah, yeah and I'm kind of glad they didn't, honestly. Like, like it's okay to, to fudge history sometimes if like it fits the overall vision of what you're going for. At least that's, that's my opinion of it, like... Yeah, it's important to understand what's historically accurate because, of course, you don't want to get lost in the sauce. But like when it when it comes to to like video games or something that's like pure fantasy or something like that, it's, sometimes it's okay to like work within the archetype that exists. Right, uh, and actually, if you think about it, the ninja getting marksmanship skill actually does fit a bit with history. Oh, I was gonna also since I know so little, I have to excitingly just peep up here and I, mean, I know I said they didn't get guns. Uh, but also that would be something the peasants would have gotten. But wouldn't that also possibly tie into their uh, tradition of Kyudo, the that special bow thing where you're very in tune with the bow and it's a right. It's like ceremonial. And uh, yeah, so if you it's ever more like religious actually. Get someone Yeah, you know, the horseback so the horseback archery organization in Japan today treats it as a religious rite. And so if you want to join, they'd say you have to treat it as a religious right. You're not just coming here to play with those. And, but, it, but as far as, you know, ninjas getting marksmanship skill, you know, the ninjas were basically peasant, you know, uh, warriors who were trained, you know, trained each other to defend their mountain uh, villages. 
And, you know, if you think about a gun being in the hands of anyone who can, you know, uh, get possession of one, it can be used by anyone who can get possession of one. It was actually a pretty good way to try to settle the score against the samurai who were, you know, the better trained forces. Yeah, like from the sound of them, like that, that actually is, is more along the lines of, of probably how I would end up fighting. Like you use what's available to you and you just like modify stuff that you're used to in order to just make it win, which is kind of what was going on. Because like, didn't they use a lot of their own like, uh, like, like their own like farm equipment and stuff like that? And they just like modified it. Oh, the, the ninja, right. the ninja mythic. Nagi. Yeah. Which I don't it's think like, was a partially because sorry, Gom or something or how do you pronounce that is that like the chain of the sickle yeah 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 and yeah if you think of, if you think about yeah the nagi and um so they use their their farm tools as as weapons and then well the mongols and and the samurai and they have you know they have much better equipment uh but you know the ninjas are basically like the guerrilla forces of their day and it makes sense to use weapons like that too, because I know the the lasso became really huge um, when dealing with like mountain combat and stuff. And then for you know the ninjas to create their own version of it, basically, um, it just it just makes sense to be able to like handle people riding a horse. Like, how do you get them off off there? Well, you drag them off. And it's also useful so. for Wonder Woman because she could make men tell her the truth they wanted to tell her anyway. Yeah, there you go. It's important. <laughs> it's founded in history. <laughs> And the Amazon, but you know, if you think about bow, yeah, it takes a lot of training. Uh, and but but if you're able to train a very large force like the Mongols were in certain periods of time, it's you, you can't stop it. Basically, you can't stop a guy on a horse with a bow until you have a rifle. It's fair. Yeah, you can only like, kind of just take cover because that's a that's a lot you of know, power. And 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 I get like there's a game balance component that goes into this too, but I'm just surprised that SE. While they did let samurais use bows in this game, like I'm surprised that they didn't give them a little bit more proficiency than they did with them, because like with how with how important a bow was to a samurai in history, from how this sounds, that I, I, it just seems like it would have been a more prolific weapon. It almost seems like they're they're better with the pole arms in this game than than the bows. And honestly, I think it should probably be the other way around. But that's just me, and, you know, making shit up, obviously. So uh, I pulled up Kyoto on Wiki real quick, just because I was curious. And it was um, the introduction of samurai taking power at the end of the first millennium created the requirement for education in archery. So they had a requirement for education in archery, but I imagine samurai would not, you know, I'm sure there were dedicated uh, people in, in Kyoto, but I'm sure I'm still not pronouncing that correctly, but it was probably more so they just had that education, which their skill being average would suit them in the game. That's just my trying to make things lock up here with it. Right, I think you 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 like with anything in life, you have people who are better and specialize it more. Um, and in some way, maybe the lore, maybe the way SC has put it, does fit a little bit better with the lore, right? So you have pole arms, which, thanks to Shining One, have have seen a really uh, big resurgence um, as being a very powerful option, you know, even more powerful than bows. And probably most samurai could use a pole arm pretty well. Oh, you know, it's relatively easy to, to study, um, especially when compared with a bow. Yeah, the range advantage on that is uh, it's definitely pretty key. And it feels simpler than a sword. Like, you could have a lot of technique, and the sword is much closer to your body, so you, your body becomes, as far as I would imagine, because I don't know anything when I'm commenting on here, imagine your body becomes more part of the weapon 
than when you're using a pole arm. And simply, I mean, there's a lot you could do with it, of course, but you're mostly extending or stabbing or deflecting, I'd imagine. But like your whole body has to move with a sword, as far as I'd imagine it. So there's a lot more intricacy and skill and practice required to that than, you know, point and stab. Seems like it's a matter of range. Like, you know how boxers are usually favored if they have the reach? Well, that's part of it, you know? You have the reach with a pole arm. The only bow that's, well, that, that samurai could really use today, being the Yoichi no Yumi, I guess that kind of fits. I guess. There's a lot of Sams that are just, I mean, it's not even about the bow, it's about the weapon skill. And a lot of Sams are like so salty they can't use, just use Radiance for some reason. <laughs> yeah, so the wiki page also comments on the gun taking over the Yumi, the Japanese bow, because of the, uh, Let's see, the Japanese student learned to manufacture their own weapons of the matchlock, and eventually uh, the matchlock they made and the Yari spear became weapons of choice over the bow. Uh, the bow as a weapon was used alongside um, the, I'm not going to pronounce it, just the gun's name, for a period of time because of its longer reach and accuracy, especially because it had a rate of fire 30 to 40 times faster than the gun. But the gun did not require the same amount of training allowing Nobunaga's army, consisting of mainly farmers armed with the gun, to annihilate traditional samurai. And then reestablished a new class of samurai, which is, yeah, very interesting. And, uh, you know, although he was famously uh, killed by one of his own generals. He was in a temple, and uh, he had a general who uh, was coming to meet him there. Uh, and, uh, you know, he says, well, we're looking for the enemy. And the enemy is inside of the temple, and Nobunaga was inside of the temple at the time. So they burned the temple down uh, with Nobunaga inside. And you know, Nobunaga was a very bloodthirsty character. Uh, he, you know, very famous for um, burning villages, burning temples, killing anyone who basically didn't follow his uh, his his way, his rule. And so maybe it was it was kind of inevitable that someone would rise up against him. I think I mentioned it before last time you here as well. The Netflix docu series on it I thought was very good. With uh, it covers Nobunaga and and uh, Masamune and all of these characters related to Sam Lore as well. I don't remember the name of it. And and you know I guess the SE recently posted a an interview with the guy who created Nobunaga's Ambition, and you know that's. That's the big Warring States game. It's a strategy game. Okay, and I was I was going to ask what it is. Yeah, it's like something like Civilization a little bit, but more war based. Oh, that's the uh, that's a really old game, isn't it? Yeah, although they they just constantly they come up with new uh, versions every couple of years. I don't know, like Madden or something. Yeah, that's actually one of Mer's favorite games. Aww, I remember he went on and on about it. Mer actually probably knows a lot of the things we're talking about because Mer is weird like that and, and gets into these things and just knows yeah. them that just reminded me of it is all what if mer was one of us <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i i don't know it's uh i i don't know why people who haven't like directly studied it you know have this like really fanciful vision of, of what a samurai is as opposed to what the real thing is like i i imagine at some point it was it was like hollywood or, or something that that started that trend or whatever has to be yeah but I, I don't know like it's you you would have to go pretty far out of your way unless you like lived over there uh, to actually find out like real information about samurais well even within japan uh they get romanticized 
Well, because, oh, really? yeah. I guess no. As far as I've understood from the outside looking in, the Japanese are very um, romantic about the past as it translates to their culture and traditions, and they have a reverence for it. So it's probably that. Yes, but but it's also it's the fact that it's this very specific period of time, right? They look back to the Edo period as being the core of Japanese tradition. When they can really look, they can look back to the Heian period. They can look back to earlier time periods, right? But for some reason, they've really when you see a lot of historical dramas, um, a lot of pop culture, it's, it focuses on the age of the samurai. And I don't know. I think I think part of it is that it it is uh, in many ways. Um, a more unique development in, in Japanese culture, right? So the Heian period, which was, um, you know, like the Nara and Heian is like the seventh, eighth, ninth centuries. These were time periods when Japan was taking a lot of things from China, from the Tang Dynasty, and importing a lot of the cultural forms, importing, um, you know, trying to design the capital to basically be a copy of the Chinese capital. And so, you know, I guess you could say that um, they don't feel unique enough in that time period. And then, you know, the Edo period is the time that was immediately before the Meiji restoration, before they modernized. So it's the big, it's the easiest thing to contrast to. So it's when they finally had broken off, if I'm going to put it in a nutshell, when they finally had broken off from foreign influence to be their own unique sort of, um, not image, but their own, their own sense of, of a, of a culture and a nation and a people, maybe not a nation, not at that time, but uh, not even a sense of a nation, just, you know, their own culture as was commonly shared was probably more formed at that time before it had been swept away with modernization. It's probably the last time they can point to, Hey, we're, we're doing it guys. We're becoming our own. Oh, well, now, now we're not. Now we're the West. Right. And that's a, it's a very cultivated image as well because they had a lot of imports, you know, they were trading with China, and trading with the Dutch, oh, the, and you know it get it's famous for being a very closed society in that time period, right? People weren't allowed to meet with the foreigners. Uh, the foreigners were limited to a very small island uh, off the coast of Nagasaki, and it was very managed with, with you know who the average Japanese person could meet. Your average Japanese person would probably never see a foreigner, uh, but we actually have accounts where Japanese fishermen. Uh, you know, run into uh, whaling vessels from Europe and the U.S., and then they'd you know happily you know join together and exchange goods and say hello and things like that. Yeah, and they gave those dirty Christians what's what back then too. Oh yeah. Oh, what's that about? So Christianity was banned um, very shortly after the Tokugawa came into power, sixteen hundred, and it was basically an attempt to. Um, and the influence of Spain and Portugal and the Dominican, uh, you know, order of monks, uh, because they had seen what had happened elsewhere, especially like the Philippines, places like that, where they had uh, used, you know, selling weapons and technology and trying to use conversion to try to um, increase, you know, their power, the power of the Portuguese and the Spanish. Oh, you got to get the the civilization uh, religion victory. Yeah, that they were going for yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. So the Japanese said, no, 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 no Christianity for us. And they took it to a really big extreme. Um, they forced people to prove that they weren't Christians by uh, stepping on images of Christ. 
they um, they forced everyone to register with their local temple. So every birth had to be registered with the local Buddhist temple. And this was supposed to be so that the Buddhist temple could certify that they're good Buddhists and they're not actually Christians. Yeah, I bet they got some really good census data from that too. <laughs> yeah, it's actually the, the, the greatest treasure trove of demographic data yeah, imagine, other than England. For sure. Yeah. That, that actually, yeah, we, we were talking a bit pre-show about a uh, German professor. Uh, he actually does the demography of uh, Edo period Japan. And he looks at he looks at these temple records and then tries to piece together. He actually looked at um, well, I don't know how much I want to reveal, but but he looks at, he looked at population trends based on these temple records. Let's say. All right. So what is that like? Big Onicha is watching you. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that something you actually have to be concerned about? Only if you're Christian in Japan. Uh, I was going to say Japanese time, and then just end up saying Japan. Um, only if you're Christian in Japan at that time. Uh, and, and you know the rules were used to be very strict um so there are things like they have uh, laws that you're not allowed to cook noodles with wheat but buckwheat's delicious oh, that so, is a really, really weird rule what's up with that it's like they say it's a waste you know the peasants shouldn't be eating this stuff this is you know for the 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 samurai they probably the lack of ability to grow that crop or it was rarer or more expensive or something of that nature i'd imagine yeah, it's more expensive. Kind of like the uh, Reinhardtsgeboten, or whatever it is, the uh, the Bavarian purity law existed because the wheat was needed for food and not just for drinking. <laughs> I guess I just don't even. <laughs> nice. I guess I just don't even consider that since we have like just ridiculously huge wheat fields and stuff. In the yeah, US. so it has to be so. hops, water, and, and you know malt or whatever. It has to be very limiting. You can't wheat's not. Uh, part of the the purity law in in Germany, which is not a was not a universal law. It was I think it was just Bavaria at least. Hmm. But I imagine it's similar logic to you know, hey, we got to eat that as opposed to I'm sure other noodles made of rice or something were a lot more accessible and and you know cheap and stuff like that. Right. And the thing is, the law was like that, but in actuality, a lot of people probably did have noodles. And so they had this separation between what was on the books and what people actually did. And so there was actually a, a, a shogun, one of the shoguns, um, Tsunayoshi, who was sorry to did in office around 1680. And they call him the dog shogun because he apparently really liked dogs. And he loved them so much that he made it uh, illegal to harm any dogs, but not only harm any dogs, but harm any animals whatsoever. So, oh, no meat for anyone. Do not, uh, do not show that guy JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually have drawings. He, he made these huge dog kennels in, in what's today's Tokyo um, to, to care for dogs. It's also another joke. Uh, you know, but, <laughs> Sorry, but, one, one more. I just wanted to say his wife's probably a dog, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, just, that's all news to me. Honestly, like when I when I think Japan, I don't really think like dogs at all. Like maybe cats, but cats, honestly, yeah. like it doesn't seem like like for whatever reason, I just can't like place like pet ownership Shiba as like Inu? a common thing that I think of when when I think of like like Japan. I, I just don't know why it just never comes to mind. Like pet ownership, like yeah, I think oh yeah, you know, people in Britain have have dogs, people in the US have dogs and stuff. And and I mean, obviously, 
uh, people in Japan have have pets, but it just doesn't strike me. It's just not like an automatic assumption that I would make. I think, and I, I don't know where that bias comes from. Japanese living spaces are a lot smaller. I mean, that makes sense. Okay, I have Google here, and apparently, dogs had been more popular than cats, and it wasn't until about between, let's say, by 2017, cats had finally become more popular than dogs. Uh, in terms of ownership, and like it had been a very wide gap, I'd imagine even before 2013, uh, and then after that, it kind of fell off the map. By 2017, it was the opposite gap between cats and dogs. So cats are more popular now, but I'd imagine dogs were probably historically more popular, especially because if you, if you think back to that time period, cats would have been pretty useless outside of catching uh, mice or something, and it wouldn't have been like something you would have domesticated or kept around. Maybe you liked them or something, but they weren't like. Uh, a dog with something that could protect you or we would use to alert you when someone's around and, you know, all the historical reasons that dogs were domesticated. So cats would probably only be a more of a modern phenomenon, uh, for sure, especially in Japan with its, uh, imageries modern day. Mm. It's interesting. Just how many, uh, phrases, uh, are come, you know, talk, refer to cats in Japanese versus dogs. So like if you, if you, don't if you're not really good if you don't really like eating very hot things they say you have a cat's tongue <laughs> and just so many different you know things like that oh. uh, but you know the, but one of the theories so going back to Tsunayoshi, one of the theories about why he did this uh, and i guess I, I was trying to make two points so the first point is so he banned eating meat but we actually have diaries of a lot of people eating meat the laws weren't necessarily all that you know much enforced but second, you know, one of the theories as to why he, he did this, why he wanted people to protect dogs and animals in general, is because this was after the ends of the, you know, the Great Warring States period. And Tokugawa come into power, and they're trying to settle and tame uh, the samurai, because they got nothing else to do. No more wars to fight. And so by making everyone respect, and so, you know, there were people, there was actually a, a kind of sport where people would, uh, shoot arrows at dogs. I mean, they're not non-lethal arrows, but they would just harass dogs by shooting arrows at them. Wow. <laughs> Talk about being idle. <laughs> Jeez. And so, you know, this this regulation is just may, maybe was a way for him to tell the, the samurai to kind of chill out a bit. Ain't that a bitch. Nice. <laughs> no, actually, that's uh, that's surprisingly... Wait, well, like, I'm sorry, when, when did this happen? So he was he was in office sixteen eighty to seventeen oh nine. Yeah, that seems like a really long time ago to like really be because I mean that that's a that's not really well I don't know if it's really animal rights or anything like that, but it, it seems like that kind of movement was like put into play a lot sooner than than you know you would you would assume it would have been anywhere else. Guy just had a so, soft spot in his belly for dogs. He's just no. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, good good for that dude. It's just weird that that it just seems very ahead of its time, like by a yeah. lot, not just by a little bit. So, or it's like we think about uh, Ashoka, right? I don't know what that is. Uh, no. uh, the, the the great he was a, a great um, Indian king, um, but he was the one who converted. I think it was the first Indian king to convert to Buddhism, and so he you know conquered India without um, the use of arms, and he was you know very um, supposed to be very uh, good person, and you know ending killing and so on. Of course, the only sources we have are columns that he erected himself. So 
maybe not the most reliable. Yeah. The, uh, the victor gets to write history. Smartest man in history takes entire country peacefully without any blood. <laughs> oh, maybe I'd have to read about that. I want to read that, it. That seems pretty, that seems pretty out there. I want to read back to the... I'd never heard of it. ...to the outline and talk about early in-game history with Samurai. Oh? I don't know, are we at that point yet, or...? Yeah, I mean, we can. I, we already talked about bows, and I guess that's like we're, part two. We're talking about dogs and stuff. I figure we go back to samurai. It's fair. Well, I mean, the dogs were related to samurais. Yeah. Well, they were just, how you know, often a, a sport? Yeah. <laughs> but outside of bitch hunting, uh, how often would samurais take dogs into battle or anything? Do you know that, or is that like a? Did they relate practically to samurais' lifestyles, or? You know, I think hunting. You know, they definitely use dogs. First battle, not too sure about that. Haven't really seen anything on that. Yeah. Okay. So we're we're gonna try what we're gonna try to relate like samurai in the game now. Or well, I was just... gonna say. Yeah. So do you want to talk about both? Or do you want to talk about the early game? I don't know. I, well, I figured we could do early game and then we'll get off onto a tangent about samurai and Japanese history. Okay. Oh, okay. Like, like, like we weren't already there. Those rabbit holes. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect going into this because. We could talk about all of Japanese history, but we do have to get it into samurai at some point, I suppose. I mean, it's been in the samurai. It's just, you know, there's a lot of interesting things that are not samurai, but relate to the period of the samurai. You could go on about as we are, as you do. Yeah, like I, the, the history of it is a lot more fascinating than the in-game job itself, that's for sure. Uh, at least to me, anyway. I'm sure they're there. I'm sure they're there. Let's, let's not sell the in-game job short. You know, we could talk a lot about that, too. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Don't dog on it, man. Which is strange, because, like, this is usually <laughs> where, where, where my, my wheelhouse would be, but... Oh, man. Are you a fox out of water? Uh, when it comes to history, yeah. Like, but as far as, like, in-game stuff, like, yeah, we got a, we got a damage dealer here. <laughs> they, they, they do the damage. It's not the best job I in the game, they, though. I hear they use uh, great katanas. Is that Puppet Master best job? No, no, Blue Mage is best job. Okay. <laughs> do you not listen to us? I'm sorry. Oh, I do, I do. No, he has more respect for his time than that. <laughs> Someone has to. Let's all talk about good, delicious, tart blueberry ales, man. Yeah. Gotta fast forward to the good stuff, they say. I was just trying to create another secret Puppet Master episode, to be honest. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, this, is, this is a secret dog episode. Talk about Puppet Master right now. <laughs> Why? Why? What happened with Puppet Master? Uh, let's just say Hayden is going to be uh, Puppet Master, now, not me. What? Dude, I'm pu- only I'm only like 200 JP, dude. I don't even have an enmity dude, set. You already? I don't use an enmity set when I go in there. All you got to do is get the Rao. Rao's easy. I mean, literally, Pup is the easiest job to get to our standards. So you're not going to have King Konkin beating stuff up. It'll take an extra few minutes. So, you know, you lose a third of the damage. That's about it for Henwin. You got time, so don't screw up. That's all right. I don't do. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how much more he's going to do without... Neither of you are going to have Kim Konkin. Not that it makes a big difference, but when you have no buffs there, it does. But, I mean, either mm. you can do that. Pup is the easiest job to, f- to fight Henwin there on. I mean, you could just stand there. and You'll never have to even use repair if you just stand there in Rao gear. You could just stand there and probably never need repair. Oh, no, I, I definitely need repair. I don't know, because I, I don't need repair, too. I think I've gone once without having to use repair based on using overdrive. Um roll reversal and uh maybe one repair and for the whole fight for him when while the puppet tanks it and uh heady artifice i stood there in route gear and i used uh firelight uh, earth 
and I uh, I did not have the elemental capacity for enough armor plates, so that was a problem. And yeah, my but you don't need the extra. Got, well, you do, because uh, because mine was not capping DT. Oh, why are you not capping DT? Get rid of one of the um the the shield blocking thing, the armor bear, whatever the fuck it is. The um, I forget the name of it at this moment. Still wasn't there. You just don't have the elemental capacity for it. You can put on a a, a armor plate four. That's all you need. Uh, no, I had armor plate four on. Then you were capped between your gear, a light, and earth. You had two, both optic fibers on, yeah? No, no, I could only have one. I did not have the light elemental capacity to not have flash. Oh, 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 oh. You, you have to be of a certain JP or you're just incredibly gimp. Eh, I still, you still should have been able to cap with just armor plate four, a light, and earth. Because the earth being on is the key thing. Usually the earth's not taken for granted there. So, it's like twenty five percent DT. I have to check my my Lou. I have the the combo in there, but yeah, it was uh, it was suboptimal. You should have been able to. I'll get. Do you have the? I'll give you the Excel calculator that for some reason that's not floating around the internet like it should be that lets you calculate out the values of uh, the attachments with optic fiber with the maneuver with both that kind of thing at different tiers and. No, the values are listed. I did that. No, you actually went and pulled them out. Okay. So you would know yeah, if you're yeah, not capped just, then, but I figured... I manually did it. I, yeah, I was definitely not capped. I was, like, under capped by, like, 20%. Oh, you'd get fucking molly whopped then. Yeah, it was gross. <laughs> I got destroyed. <laughs> what have I done? Something you Dude, wanted... I, 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 spammed, I spammed a 12 Don Wilson, rode the repair timer, and I had a Deus Ex Machina, or Automata. Dude. I'm gonna it was, look... It was not good. I'm gonna look later. We'll have to follow this up. Someone write this down for a segment. We're going to have to follow this up later here. And the Fox I'm, Pup. Oh, yeah, for the Foxit Master. What have you done, Various? Yeah. He-Man, <laughs> Masters of the Puppetverse. And I'm going to look at the values and see what you would have and what you should... I mean, I don't know what you were wearing, but, if, I mean, there's you should have... Did you not have an Ambuscade cape? No, I have an Ambuscade cape. What, what is going on here? You should have... You have the earrings, you have the cape. What's going on here? I haven't changed it to a PDT cape. But anyway... Man, so, what's with this Pup Gemini? <laughs> <laughs> Puppet Jimmy. Pup, pup's not important. Pup's not, let's throw Pup in the. Let's let's put Pup in the corner. Let's be yeah, the, the lore it. master. What what have I done? Why did I go down this? <laughs> it's very so interesting. Sorry. It's 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 interesting because I I thought it was cake. You know, elemental capacity is important. Okay, <laughs> so it's one. Important. You're missing one. Two. Oh, it's two per. Uh, so two. Why didn't you just so use samurai. the the white mage head? You would have had the extra light. You could have put on both. I out. did. What? What? You had enough capacity then? Nope. You would have had like nine light. I think I have ten light with the the Valoredge and and the uh, Soul Soother head. I have like eight. Dude, that's enough because the optic fiber one and two is only like what three? That's a lot more than that. So the flash, but you couldn't have been. You couldn't need more than seven for those three attachments. You do. Because you also need auto repair kit. Yeah, but the auto repair kit you can skimp on a bit as long as you're capping DT there. You'll just have less uh, auto regen, which is fine because you're in row full time where I was not wearing any row. I was fighting in, in malignance and shit. Did not work well. Dude, I was able to cap DT with just a cape and the legs and, and maneuvers, even though I had the one extra capacity everywhere. I mean, I, there's no way. There's no way. I had no row on. I had two Should pieces watch to cap. Me get shoot. I got chewed up during overdrive, dude. Ooh. Dude, there's no yeah, way you were capping during overdrive because you definitely... I, you would think. You, 
You would think. I wonder and if the I'm defense. I'm inclined to agree with you. I wonder if the defense from gifts is that important. Like, I mean, it I, might be because I was getting destroyed. Anyway, <laughs> so the pup tangent. Sorry, man. <laughs> it's my fault. Yeah, practical play experience. So for for I'm I, I played a lot over the years here, and like samurai, I have always enjoyed having the job around, but I've never really leaned on the job specifically, um, except like during the H and M times. Uh, we actually use samurai a lot to uh, to set up a lot of our skill chains uh, because there's like just a lot of good compatibility on its own, and it can do it by itself, and that was uh, kind of our go to thing. Um, very reliable weapon skills. But outside of that, that, like it's never really been like too notable for like a lot of the strategies. Like like my group is blessed with an Amano Sam, which would be the relic. And uh, because of that, they had a lot of really good skill chain options, especially like back in that 75 period. So that was pretty much the experience we had with it. Like there wasn't a whole lot of buffing things that weren't black mages, but the samurai could hold their own. And uh, they basically, uh, we always use that one guy to, we always use that one guy to set up uh, skill chains for the black mages, and it just always worked. It was really nice little man strats. Yeah, but I think you know, really before the Hagen era began, Samurai didn't do as well for the H and M's. You know, it really took that TP bonus. Um, especially, you know, I mean, I just remember back in the day that people like the very early Koreans, people would use Samurai to meditate and use spirits within. Oh, I don't remember that. That, that might be back to then. like the level fifty cap with red lotus blade and monastic cavern. It's not something. <laughs> yeah, I've I was probably I've read. Still, I, I was probably not even seventy five when that was going on. Like, it, it, just because I played back then does not mean that I was like instantly level seventy five in two thousand three. You know, or two thousand four. That wasn't even no, seventy five. Was wasn't even a thing in two thousand four. Was it? No, it was. The game it came was seventy five when. When uh, NA's NA's it was already seventy five before the BNA release. I thought it was capped for like the first two years at fifty or so, or the first year at fifty, then it started going up one at a time, like we had uh, when the cap was gone from seventy five. It was like this slow march of every update getting five levels, or something that effect of 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 layered out release of level cap increases, not just all you know at one time. It was layered out, but I think like fifty was the beta, maybe even something the alpha. Like yeah, fifty was not a level cap when I started playing. That's for sure. Like I, I, I started playing like any around the NA launch time, like and, and that was not a that was not a thing, or I was just so low level that I just had no idea that that was a thing. Because again, if you start playing in that time frame, it does not mean that you were automatically seventy five end game, dude. I have to go back to Funkworks history of Vana Deal here. Yeah, but but yeah, the um. The job, uh, I don't know, like it, it never really seemed to stand out to me. Um, like it was more useful than like a Dark Knight or a Warrior, but less useful than a Black Mage. And, and I think that's just that's just the only thing I remember about it. Because um, I mean, that that time was a long time ago. Right. And I think it was pretty middling as far as dd jobs went back then yeah it's just a dd job level cap became um, 75 december 16th 2003 and it became yeah, so 70 july so it was every three months it was going up five okay yeah something like that but april it became 65 
So yeah, you're right. 2004, it was it was that. I didn't play till it was six. I thought there was a longer period of the game being a bit stagnant when it launched, of level 50 cap being a thing for longer than it should have been. But it was very that that cap went away real quick. So you have it in here that, and this is kind of a, a topic I remember going back and forth with people a lot with um, that. As he tried to make this job a tank job, and this was when you know the Rise of Zillard jobs were out, so you didn't really have like anything that came out after those jobs. So like Puppet Master did not exist, and neither did uh, Lumage yet at this time. And uh, I remember like when every whenever uh, like a new job was released, like someone always said, "Oh, this is the new tank job." Because I remember when Blue Mage came out, people were like, "Oh, it's the tank job. They get cocoon." <laughs> or like when Dancer came out, they're like, "Oh, this is the tank job because you can provoke with it." Fan dance. And I mean, yeah. Although Fan well, Dance, fan dance, fan dance came later. later, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was just the fact that you got animated flourish. And like, people tried to like tack that, tack on that Samurai was a tank because they had hate tools. And I guess you mentioned that uh, they had enmity on some of their JSE pieces. I recall this now that we're talking about it. It didn't come up before, but when he said that there was AF, there was enmity on their AF, I recalled back in 06, 07 or whatever, probably 07. People would even still say Samurai was supposed to be a tank because their AF had enmity. And then back then, all those many, many years ago, I said, that's stupid. You can't look at that and say that's how that is. You can't extrapolate. I didn't use the word extrapolate, but I'm like, you can't connect those two. They're not related. You know, I mean, if you really think about it, you could wear enmity on that job and just hope that that job gets punched in the face instead of a black mage when hate gets lost. Yeah, I mean, they put enmity in other pieces of gear. It's not like, you know. Well, I think the setting was to be like Warrior, a DED that could hold the mob's attention. Maybe okay. that's a better way to put it. Yeah, that's 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 fair too. Because I mean, they they gave it they gave it third eye, and you know the, the pace of the game was much slower back then. But even even so, like third eye, like once every sixty seconds was was not really a lot. Well, I mean, it was really rough. It was better than nothing, and you had nothing back then. There wasn't it's true. It's true. Yeah, Seigen, uh, Seigen or, or whatever was not always around. And like the third eye once every 60 seconds. Maybe it's Saigon. It's, it could be. I'm <laughs> probably not. I, I will probably never pronounce it right. I think you'd just fall for it. <laughs> Seigon. But, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, it was just another DD. Yeah, that's for sure. Used a, a cooler weapon, I guess, with cooler weapon skills. Actually, the weapon skills didn't really look that great. Until you got to like the seventy-five era of them. Tachi MP, your first Greek Katana weapon skill, offensive. looked really cool compared to Fast Blade and all the other ones like Wasp Sting. So in terms of like when you first saw a samurai back in the day, and uh, you know he's running around doing Tachi MP compared to the Wasp Stings, Fast Blades, even Burning Blade, compared Slice. To, yeah, yeah, uh, the the one with Dark the axe, the, the double axe, whatever the hell it is. Compared to all those things, combo would be probably the next coolest. Compared to all those, this was like a big slash in the sky. It was like cool. And it was like the first time weapon skill actually had some uh, some real pizzazz and some oomph to it. It had some balls on it. It's like MP and then Sturmwind. Yeah. Those were like the cool weapon skills of the early level range. Sturmwind was okay. That one was actually strong. Yeah, it was. It was just like, like, yeah. for a long, long time. Turn out, I told me how it looked, you know. But there wasn't really the gear to support a lot of their their weapon skills as we know them now. Because like uh, Tachi Kagero, um, that one would have been a monster if Samurai back then would have gotten any amount of magic attack bonus gear, and we would have actually figured out, you know, that we should put magic attack bonus gear on our uh, on our DDs. 
Right. And I think, you know, you got NP at skill level five, and then you would use it all the way up pretty much to Yukikaze, right? At 200. Yeah, it was used for like a really long time until you got to like their big three or whatever. It was uh, Yukikaze, uh, Gecko, and Kasha. And those were so great because of the attack bonus in them. And, you know, because no one was ever capping or coming even close to capping attack by them. You know, Kagero oh, yeah, had, had a 75% strength modifier for like a level 33 weapon skill. Yeah, those weapon skills are actually pretty ridiculous. Like, they'll do real damage now. Like, you, you can roll out, like, nowadays with that weapon skill and do, do like, 60k damage just casually. Against what? Against anything that, that is susceptible to fire damage. The, the weapon skill's ridiculous. It's hybrid, dude. Yeah, I know it's hybrid, but I guess that I'm sort of talking like Naomi Path B against something that doesn't resist. You know, I mean, because you're not going against you know against yeah, some, some serious NM. Like you're not going against uh, Arabati and go watch my Kagero wrecked you. You know, <laughs> probably not. But it's it basically it'll it'll stack up the exact same way that any of those other hybrid weapon skills that everyone gets excited about. Um, it'll stack up the exact same way that they will basically. Yeah, but everyone gets excited um, about like uh, Jinpu Samurai just. It's easier to do. I was saying because how weak um, Apex because it has more hits. Yeah, it, it's also because it has more hits. Um, so it's uh, it's an easier multiplier to uh, to apply all that damage to because it's two hit instead of one hit. That's the same reason that Blade Chi is uh, as strong as it is compared to like Blade Toe and uh, Blade Techy or Tachi. Oh yeah, Blade Blade. Uh, I want to pretend like I know what's going on. They should have made all those hybrid weapon skills from Ninja and Sam two heads. Yeah, but they they got a lot of them, and they were they're, they're still strong regardless. Like if if they had put any gear on to support those jobs, so Samurai specifically, with it being as, as good of a DD as it was and as flexible as a DD as it was, because I mean it may have just been a DD, but it was usually the DD that people went to when when you had to pick someone that like swung a weapon at something. And if they had. Even even put in just a little bit of gear to support those other weapon skills, like it would have probably changed how we understand weapon damage um, long before, like when there was like a more of a resurgence of uh, of understanding how that weapon damage works, like during Abyssia times, when all of a sudden we had access to all these Atmas and stuff where we could like buff weapon skills in ways we never did before. The magic attack bonus in general was such a rare stat. I mean, you had, yeah. I mean, even yeah. for Black Mage, you had the Moldavite Earring and Zenith Meds. Yeah, pretty much. Otherwise, it was just rock as much int as you can. I'm actually pulling oh. it up right now. You had to ride the elemental affinity on your staves. Yep, yep. Moldavite, earring, yeah. and I mean... This is 5M, maybe? Yeah, there's, I'm all the way up to level 60 here. There's nothing. Yeah. And if they had included any of that damage, like we would have had... I think more exciting builds or at least knowledge to make more exciting builds. And I think the player base would have benefited more if we had just had any of the tools where we could at least experiment and find out about more, more about those weapon skills and things, because those are those, those weapon skills have really crazy mods on them. And like being hybrid weapon skills, the way that damage formula works, like that would have, that would have changed a lot of our understanding sooner than it, than it had, because like we came out with uh, a lot more information on how that stuff works, like much, much later on than, when they were released, that's for sure. There's a torque for magic attack bonus plus one level 33 old jobs from inside the belly, which I don't think existed back then. Yeah. And then much later. you have Ugalepeth pendant. Yep. 
uh, and all this other stuff's like uh, around the time Wings of the Goddess was around. You have like the Crapaud earring from that, um, uh, what you call it, the the castle uh, Ostrosia fight in the past when you control it, which wasn't common. And there's not many. Yeah, and even that was Wings of the Goddess. Yeah, Novio. So that was like almost that time anyway. So you would have needed Novio, which not many people had. Uh, yep. Moldavite and other stuff. And that's all like level later on pieces of gear too. And there's like there was like nothing. Two earrings, yeah. a belt, and uh, a necklace. That's it. And you outgrow those weapon skills, like you said. Once we hit like Tachikaze, you you basically outgrow those weapon skills and never look back on elemental weapon skills. So even if you're black mage, that was that was eligible to lot the the uh, the piece for uh, for Novio earring. You also had to be a samurai, and then they also had to have the presence of mind to do something that samurais weren't doing at the time to even find out if if it was if it was worth it. Because a lot of times, like people would just throw away the fact that it was an elemental weapon skill. Like, like nobody nobody even really cared about them at all. The only thing I could think of is wizard's roll too would have helped. Yeah, definitely. But even Corsair came out way later. Yep, not too much later. You still could have used it for a while. I think yeah. no one wanted to use that because most parties. Um, we're just all melees, and it's like, oh, chaos roll helps us. We're not nuking, but there were a couple times leveling up in like the 2008 period, maybe even 2007 period, where I recall very rarely. I, I know I saw it once or twice. There'd be like a ninja fighting crabs in um in uh the tunnel there, the right before Cape Terrigan. What's it called? Kuftal. Kuftal. Yeah, yeah Kuftal. ninja sub black. Yeah, yeah would usually solo those with staves with chi. Oh, or even just chi. Yeah, blade chi because they're in a traditional party. Yeah, actually, the the ninja could actually just solo those without other assistance using the knee wheel. And it was like super impressive that blade chi because other ninjas we use and they would do crap. So they must have just had an ovio earring, and it made all the difference at that point in the game because magic defense bonus probably really low. Yeah, I mean they would have had to they would have had to execute the weapon skill before bubble curtain went off. Because either Scissor Guard or Bubble Curtain would immediately shit on your day. Like, your, your damage would just, like, fall through the floor. Yeah. So, I don't really know what they were doing. Speaking of falling through the floor, how about this samurai stuff? Spirits, yeah. spirits Within. Spirits Within, huh? I don't remember the Spirits Within time, honestly. That, that was before me. Yeah, before before you had the TP bonus weapons coming to the game, Hoglin and so on. Um, yeah, samurai weapon skills were not too great. Uh, especially, I mean, if you think about things, I mean, they were okay if you paired them with sneak attack, but you would never want to sneak attack, I don't know, like a Tiamat or a Needhawk or something. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, but um, Samurai was more thief than thief back in the day with, uh, you know, <laughs> trick attack gecko. Oh yeah, Sada gecko. Yeah, sneak attack would make it so the weapon skilled it. Miss and then uh, Gecko had the native attack bonus that we talked about before, and because nobody had any kind of buffs, it was actual like real damage on these these NMs. And sometimes it was even an applicable skill chain too. But I mean, Gecko being distortion was kind of medium a lot of the time. Kind of medium. Depend, it depends on what you're or was it fighting. Extra medium. I wouldn't say extra medium because like your black mages, because every single event had black mages. Uh, would probably want to try to nuke some sort of ice magic if if it was weak to ice, but there wasn't a ton that were. Like Kieran, for example, like you would have had to nuke wind on that one. Uh, Tiamat, you'd probably want water uh, or thunder. I forget. 
it's one or both of those. Tiamat was fire, but uh, so water. Well, he used fire, but you you did not cast fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Actually, yeah. I'm curious if thunder might have been the way to go for that. Also, because of thunder at, was more common at, yeah. the, at the time. It, it had a higher damage. They changed it later, but it, yeah, it had a higher base damage on the spell because it was a higher tier, even though it was a tier one. Right, I think it's it's because it's supposed to um, compensate for the fact that it has a higher MP cost. Yes, yes, but that changed the way it worked, of course, until later on they fixed it back in the Adelin era when they changed Black Mage when Skirmish was brand new, before Lovian existed, I believe, or right around when Lovian came out. Nonetheless, you know what was cool? Now they mentioned there was always a Black Mage outside of uh, Gembu, because obviously any Black Mage. Um, you could go to the sky as a link shell and someone would take black mage was like, oh, his black mage is decked out. But like you could do that and stand there and everyone be like, hey, he's just playing black mage. He's helping DD. And, you know, if it's like Bayako or something, that made a bit of sense because the mob was very evasive. So, you know, it was cool back then that you could just take black mage in a way that the game has not had in like a very, very, very long time. A black mage just showing up to a melee party. See, a lot of this is that it's just really hard to find things in my mind, or it could be even for you guys too, that where a samurai actually stood out back then, outside of like sneak attack gecko. Yeah. Like, like when, once the samurai got got the Hagen and got the TP bonus for, you know, more attack, uh, unlike gecko and stuff, more, more FTP, like just better mods, basically. Samurai. Um, they got a lot better, but yeah, without it, no. Samurai was always very and Black Mage was really good for like. It was- it's good for like Fafnir, you talk like because you don't. Have, it's not like Tiamat or Jormungand, right? Where you have ads that you can TP on. God forbid you ever got a darter. Yeah. And then Arsenal. Oh. Hypothermic combustion. What? Oh no. Sleep it. Have a bad time. Oh. And then like half the party would like die getting up there anyway because of the Tauruses. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or. Or like people, yeah, people did not understand Tauruses, and that that was really frustrating. Is it Tauri? Yeah, I I honestly, I, I will, I'll just call them Taurus. Not worry about them being Tauri. <laughs> You're not in the Safari Zone anymore, Fox. I'm not. Uh, Nigel Thornberry, he is not. But Samurai was always really good for fodder. Everyone would, you know, a lot of the stuff you did back in those days was running around killing decent challenges that were aggroing you, doing everything else you did, playing with your friends nonstop because helping them get weapon skill points as a samurai was big, or just helping them do their missions, their storyline, stuff like that. Samurai was big for that because, you know, having TP before you fight and skill chaining and stuff, especially if you had like someone to magic burst off of that, that was a big deal. And samurai yeah, was super, missions. yeah, super good at skill chaining, and other jobs were not. So. Yep. Yeah, like yeah, so like, the two hour was so clutch um in certain BCs. Yeah, just the fact yeah. That I almost I almost forgot about those BCs altogether actually. Like that was a really good time. Um COP is a big one where you had like a meaningful one hour or two hour and uh yeah, not a lot of jobs did. Like sometimes we tried to use like monks with hundred fists or hundred you know, miss. But yeah, the hundred misses. And then uh, Eagle Eye Shot. Yeah, Eagle Eye Shot would close it out back when that wasn't a joke. <laughs> it was still kind of like wimpy, that. but it was at least something. Yeah, but the, the samurai guaranteed you like this, this multi-step skill chain that, you know, your summoner or your black mage could burst off of. And, you know, it, it was like the key to winning a lot of BCs. And Segan Third Eye, when he finally got 
uh, Sagan was Sagan, whatever the fuck, um, was super clutch too for the fights were slower. So if the mob had slow on because you had a red mage there because everyone loves red mage for refreshing cure four, um, you know that was you know a lot of times people would just focus on samurai because it was able to you know, just evade those attacks and live better than, you know, no no warrior was going to stand up like a samurai was going to in those days. That's definitely true. Well, I mean, you'd have, like, warrior ninjas who sometimes knew what was well, going yeah, on. Well, yes, I was including some ninja. If if they weren't at least, if they weren't at least level 74, they were really just doing that because they like Rampage and they like to dual wield for some reason. Riddles. Throw some riddles on some shit. Well, yeah, but I mean, that was a higher level thing. Like, yeah. when you run into, like, six cap content like when you see a warrior ninja it's kind of saddening it's like yeah i guess you have three shadows without <laughs> having good luck getting them back up without having any fast cast or capped haste gear or anything like that samurai sub ninja was very common and popular and requested by groups because of segan and, and ninjutsu or utsusami and it was the worst recast ever oh i bet that sounds atrocious yeah most time our sam's were like sub thief so i, I don't know or sub warrior later on, but not too much later. Run, yeah, I, I almost never had a, any any sub ninja. A lot of times, I'd have people always subbing ninja on samurai, or people asking him to do it. It just depends on the group and the content. But I think uh, um, once you like stepped out of like the infancy of this game, and you started getting into like Abyssia, where things started turning around for everybody, like people started understanding stats more, um, how stats worked better. Since you could like actively manipulate them, especially through like the use of Atman and stuff, so that's when people started like really refining. Plus, you got like a major boost to your your gear level and like the, the power of your gear, not the actual like. Well, sometimes actually it's just the literal level of your gear, but um, you get a lot more powerful equipment for like the first time ever. So you can play with the stat mods, and people found out a lot more things about like how these how these weapon skills work. There's a lot of testing that got done because of Abyssia. And jobs like jobs could basically be like honed at that point. So like you, you, all of a sudden you saw all your magic jobs doing like crazy damage, and all your physical jobs could like figure their their shit out. You know, do better than they had in the past. You know, they weren't just relegated to do sneak attack weapon skill anymore. And and I don't know, like post Abyssia, like the very early stages of Abyssia, I I just wasn't around for that. So I couldn't tell you a whole lot about like that that stage of it. But like as far as like being able to figure stuff out. Like Abyssio is pretty key for that, and I think it actually it, it benefited melees quite a bit, um, being able to play around with stats where they just had no way of doing it for. But you're missing something, Fox. Samurai was oh. shit in Abyssia because it didn't have a crit weapon skill. It was not a thief, a ninja, a uh, blue mage. Those kind of it, it was not. Didn't have. See, that's what I would have been missing too. Yeah, I, like, I was I was gone for almost all of it. Like I, I remember, like you could use the early Abyssia zones to like XP as a party. And yeah, you could fight some NMs and stuff, and I did fight some NMs, and like you had to use like certain weapon skills to proc and all that stuff that we know now. Um, but yeah, like as far as like people getting really gross and out of control with like crit weapon skills and stuff, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't around for that one. Yeah, Samurai was always good outside of Abyssia, but since everything at that time was Abyssia based, it was Samurai got relegated to those those other jobs that didn't crit like Dark Knight. That's unfortunate. Even Dragoon had skewer. Skewer. It crits, man. Man, it sounds like we're just like down on this job for like almost the entire history of this job existing. <laughs> well, it was super, super popular and for good reason. Just it wasn't like like there was many times where people always would complain Samurai's OP, particularly in merit parties and stuff like that, because uh, you would be able to take. Uh, could they do Sidewinder to the Colibri? 
but they would have polearm too. So yeah. By the time um, yeah, ZMs were out, you used polearm. Yeah, you would use penetrust with the polearm uh, from arm gears or whatever by the time. Um, Tomo. Yeah, Tomo. By the time that was out, and Samurai was one of the best jobs to take the birds like that, were like your typical uh, rampaging man eater Woodsville axe Joyus if they were smarter. Joyus over Woodsville. Um, and Colibri was like, man, I can't do this damage like a Samurai. And samurais were considered like this super strong DD, but it was always situational where there'd be times where like you wouldn't want them. Like you don't want your samurai for your salvage farming back then. You want a monk. And there's like every, everything competing with samurai, but it always still throughout history, especially into Delve, had this whole Sam's OP mystique to it for a while. Yeah, you'd hear people talking about it, but I just never really saw it in action. Like we had a relic Sam. He was great. But outside of that, like I was never impressed with any other Sams. They're great for Nizel. I guess. Yeah, they they were actually pretty good for Nizel. I remember running Nizel Isle with the dude on Sam because like he were he ran Monk uh, when we did uh, Salvage, and he was all he was the, the same guy who was the Samurai I'm talking about uh, was a Monk for Salvage, but uh, he ran Samurai and Delve or not Delve, um, uh, Nizel Isle. Yeah, I remember that now because like we would send him out to go. Uh, we would like sneak and visit him and send him out to kill the boss while we did the lamp. I think Meditate also sealed the deal for Sam too because given the hours long pace of a Kirin fight or something, meditate was absolutely crucial to doing damage. So having meditate and sneak attack and stuff on samurai was sometimes the only way certain groups were going to start fighting stuff down because various reasons of bad strategy. That makes sense. And since, you know, they had it natively, they didn't have to like sub thief for the sneak attack just to hit the mob. Otherwise they would miss. I think overall Samurai was one of those paths of least resistance uh kinda. Uh, approaches to a lot of content in general yeah and i i think especially for korean after the ranger nerf that really allowed samurai to get a bit more play because before you could just throw rangers at it and while it was running it didn't matter where kirian was in relation to the ranger you'd still do the same yeah. damage but after that then you had to get a bit more strategic and you know wait for it to cast and the samurai would come in and sneak attack get go things like that yeah have the uh the tank kiting it to stop so that everyone can like run and do their weapon skills and start kiting again when they took too much damage. Or you just go Puppet Master and have your uh, Valorite chase it around a cannibal blade and hurt her subligar. There you go. Clutch. We never used them. So the... I think that kind of covers that part of the outline. But then, I guess... I don't know if this was ordered out in terms of how you wanted to do it, but I mean, Origins of the Samurai we kind of touched on in terms of the Mongols and everything, but um, you didn't mention Iga by name, did you? No, I didn't. Or the Koga. One of the, yeah, Koga and Iga, uh, you know, now names of Empyrean and, and Relic sets in game. And but they, the, you know, two of the original homes for the ninja. And they tie into the storyline, not only in real life, but also just in terms of, I don't know the Norg storyline too well, with Lion and all that, the ZM storyline and all the other Norg-related things that go on in the game, but I don't, I mean... Samurais and ninjas, do they have like a thing in game that I'm not very familiar with or to mirror the real life kind of thing? I'm trying to think. I don't think they have a, an antagonistic in game lore, do they? They're just kind of like in the Tenshoto and Bastok and, and in Norg and stuff. They just kind of seem like they're like a combined entity. Right. Yeah. They always made it seem like Norg had all these like shady, like, un, like shady dealings and stuff and like. Almost made them seem like they were like not 
on the up and up, but, but they never really pointed out exactly why that was. So it's kind of one of those, they, they, they told you but didn't show you sort of things. I mean, I guess you had that quest where you had to bring like the northern fur or the the whatever without using an airship or or like customs would pinch you. Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. The fucking the mummy thing and the northern fur. And you got to yeah, bring but, them. But, but, but aside from, from like, yeah, but aside from like weird smuggling, um, like Nord never really seemed. Yeah, Nord never really seemed like it was that bad because it almost sound it almost seemed like it was modeled after zozo from final fantasy 6 but but it just kind of never lived up to being zozo because obviously zozo is a thing if any of you guys know what that I, is. I don't know what that is i don't know final fantasy before 10 so when i need to put a code for like the garage someplace or somewhere in i'll ask Kara to go what's the code <laughs> and she'll go cloud squalls zadane and I'm like, honey, I don't know what oh, fucking no. Final Fantasies you're referring to as numbers from the press on this. Wow. So, so in, in Final Fantasy games, like you would, uh, you'd wander on a world map, you'd enter a town, and generally you'd get into battles on the world map, and then like you'd get into it, you'd go into a town, and the town's like, hey, yeah, I'm gonna go buy stuff, I'm gonna rest up at the end, everything's gonna be great. You you wander into this town called Zozo, <laughs> and, and uh, your random your random battles don't stop. Like the, the the town is actively full of people who want to kill you, and you have to like navigate the town, and everyone in there's a liar and stuff like that. And it, it feels like Norg was supposed to be like that, but you know I don't really see how Samurai in particular ties into Norg, and then also Norg kind of fell short of of I, I think what they were going for if they were trying to make it like that. So I don't know. sure seems that- like seemed to me like the Samurai quest line was a lot about like I. Ayame's personal journey. Becoming that's a what it was. It's been a long time since I did. I don't remember the Samurai Quest line like at all. I'm sure Vargas yeah. will agree with me when I say, are you sure they just model Zozo after Newark? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure. It's a shithole. It is a shithole. If you go to the Ironbound, though, you can get some pretty good Portuguese food. I hope so. It's gotta have something. <laughs> Besides drug use in the streets, yeah. My, my mother, so my mother once worked at a hospital there, and once she was stopped at a light, and a guy th- tried to throw a brick at her car. <laughs> that's it's fucking. Like, what the fuck? That's Newark. That's Newark. It's like you don't drive through Newark to avoid the tolls in the Parkway. You just stay on the Parkway. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> brick. Like was it? Was that unprompted? Like you just got a random <laughs> yes. ass brick. It's fucking Newark. What the fuck. It was a, um, a robbery attempt, I guess. Uh, crackhead was trying uh, to rob and probably missed the car when he threw the brick. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How'd I guess? Seems great. I'll but be visiting you, the uh, the Northeast anytime. If you want to go see a hockey game, they got a hockey game, but just watch out for them bricks. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm good. It's Zozo. Our, our great state's most populous city. Jersey City. Oh, it's Jersey City now. Yes, uh, Newark okay. is definitely not number one anymore, as far as I know. Okay, well, that's better. And Jersey is not a city; it's just over the water from New York. Man, we really derailed this outline. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> back to the Iga and the Koga. I'm like looking this over, and not Zozo, which I compared to Newark. So good. Yeah, so not everyone wanted the samurai to be in charge, you know. And the ninjas were one of those people because the samurai were were symbols of hierarchy. You know, they go into a place, they tax you a lot, they make you study bows. Well, they probably wouldn't like to study bows. So, you know, Fox mentioned the the thing about um, 
reinforcing your mic got super muffled oh am i okay now yes now you're fine it's like you were traveling far away from us you were you were throwing this whole headset in the, in the trash you're like i've had enough of this podcast <laughs> fucking what, what were the reviews again okay so the the koga and the ego were the ones not wanting them in like yeah, because the ninja were the, you know, the guerrilla forces, the farmers who didn't want you know, to be ruled by the state. Weren't they just declared, like, weren't they just, like, the Iga and Koka clans, and they were only called ninja as, like, a way of making up for the fact the samurai sucked against fighting them and lost? Because it was right. not in their home turf and, is, you know, in a, in a particularly difficult terrain that they were not familiar with. You know, their mountain villages... Uh, the locals, of course, know it a lot better than the samurai do. Um, you're not going to do well with a horse up there. So, you know, samurai had a lot of disadvantages. Sounds like the perfect place to win. Yeah, exactly. It's like Tora Bora. Tora Bora. Well, we already covered Saigon. <laughs> That's a bunch of bullshit. But, you know, the, the samurai, if you think about when they come into power so they they basically force everyone else to give up their weapons and uh hideyoshi the first one of the first really the first samurai to conquer the entirety of japan um he forced all of the villagers to give up their swords and then he said he was going to uh, melt them down and melted them into a great buddha statue in reality he probably only melt, melted a few of them and turned them into nails for the buddha statue <laughs> I guess he kept his that word. That makes sense. Nailed it was like it. the Game of Thrones throne or something. Honestly, it's really hard to, you know, mount an uprising if you don't have any weapons. So taking away the weapons, you know, before they can become a problem seems like a pretty smart way of handling it. Right. And then, you know, and it goes into this whole back, back to the idea of mythology of the samurai, right? The fact that they have their sword. Well, the sword becomes the status symbol. Um, only the samurai class are allowed to have a sword. And they actually wear two swords. They did wear two swords all the time um, in public as symbols of their power, even though Japan had no uh, wars to speak of. So uh, yeah, they're I, uh, rolling around representing. I know of the two swords from uh, like Samurai Champloo or something. I don't know of it besides seeing them in animes. So I don't know what the second sword was ever about besides being a cool, I'm a badass, can dual wield great katanas kind of thing. But. Well, the second one's a shorter one. It's like the tanto. It's, I don't know, it's closer to like the ninja katana, right? Listen here, tanto. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell you what either of them were used for. I, I do know that, what is it? It was called daisho, right? Like, it, it, it can, it, it was consisted of like the two swords, and like one sword was obviously the bigger sword than the little sword. But I, I don't know why the little sword was around. Or Much like spooning, sometimes someone has to be the little sword, and someone has to be the big sword. Clearly, yep. you know sometimes combat only needs the little sword. Sometimes there's enough I mean, forest I guess and that's terrain true, or But something. like the big sword, like like the the larger sword didn't really seem like it was like so much larger. It was like unwieldy. Well, I mean, even if it was only about eight inches shorter or something, imagine you're in a forest in a house in a village. You know, you, if you don't have that range, eight inches can mean the difference between hitting in the wall and hitting someone. It's true. Every inch counts, Fox. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, if someone's like climbed on top of you and you can only pull one sword out, short sword's probably going to be the answer. That's like drawing the short straw. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> you know, if you got to defend yourself and the guy's on top of you, he said, you pull up the shorter sword. You know, you, the guy gets the short straw, you know? It's like when you get the short straw, you lose the, the you know, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah, it, yeah. you know, you're the goose. I, 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 I got you. Yeah. Uh, it's not that much of a stretch compared to other things I've said. It's true. So what about the weapons in terms of, you know, Masamune was obviously the warrior, but what about the other one? I mean, I'm sure we'll cover that one as well, but what about the other ones? Do you want to do weapons? Sure. Should we start with uh, swords? Sure. You can start with whatever I've, you I've like. Actually, you were the smart one. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of stuff lately about uh, being able to, like, traditionally forge these, these sorts of swords, or just swords in general. But I've seen quite a few of these get forged, and it's actually a really interesting process. Fox is like this big Hulk and bear who might be juggling blueberry muffins, as this uh, beer has on here, but... Uh, he's like that big guy I can see smoking and hammering away at a piece of metal trying to make something, sweating. Oh, this, the stuff I've seen, like I say it traditionally made, but I mean, the dude's using a power hammer most of the time, which uh-huh. is like this giant, like, upright anvil thing with like a, a hydraulic hydraulic. Say like a basically. reverse hydraulic press. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we can definitely start with the swords. I just think that that just like the craftsmanship that goes into them is really interesting. Like just how the, how the, uh, the handles are, are uh, constructed as well as the guards and stuff. Like it, there's just a lot of care that gets put into them. It's all about the balance, you know, the hardness of the sword, the fact that they combine softer and harder metals or, you know, the harder one for the edge to retain the edge, softer one and easier to form. Although yeah. interestingly, when you see them display swords, usually in museums, they only show the blade. Yeah. Yeah. They've completely removed the handle from the tang. So why is the hilt gone? I think partially is that the hilt is usually made out of a more biodegradable material. So that usually it goes by the wayside pretty early. And then I think it's also, you know, looking at the entirety of the forged sword because part of it's hidden behind the hilt. So, you you know, supposed to marvel at the beauty of the sword. Yeah. Plus a lot of what was going on in the handle, like when they wrapped it and stuff and they put like the tokens inside the, the wrapping and all that, like that was all personal to like the person who owned the sword. And it wasn't really so much like the craftsmanship of the sword itself. Like that was their, their own personal flair sort of situation too. So like that part of it didn't, doesn't necessarily belong in a museum unless that person was notable. Uh, right. But in this case, like we care mostly about the sword, right? So like, like just marvel in the how the steel was made and, and how it was formed and everything. Yeah, you know, and I guess we, we start with the, the most famous smart swordsmith of them all, Masamune. Huh? Yeah, everyone gets to hear about them. Everyone's played Chrono Trigger. We know, uh, you know, well, well, I've not played through Chrono Trigger because I am uh, a simpleton who owns it and it's on eBay right now and I've never played through it and I'm just going to get rid of it because I don't got time for that. I'm sure Carrot will make fun of me and she always does because she's played through it and makes fun of me. So, but also that the combining of metals and everything with sort of made me also think of how, um, Asian, Japanese, I like traditionally just called Japanese knives because that's, you know, how we call anything Asian that's like that because I guess they're great katanas or in our, our popular conscience. Those um, are more precise than European knives, your Vustoffs or your Henkels or something because they actually are sharpened to a different um, degree on the, uh, the knife itself. So the Japanese knives are 15 degrees to my memory, and it's 20 degrees for the European knives, which means the Japanese knives have that thinner, more precise edge that, you know, as a result, it's, you know, uh, will dull down or, you know, it's more susceptible because it's, it's a finer point. It's not as uh, 
strong by losing that extra bit of thickness there. But it's more precise and, you know, uh, Japanese. <laughs> well, strange knife trivia. I didn't know if that <laughs> related into their, you know, way their, their swords are forged compared to your, you know, in terms of, it made me think of that in the craftsmanship. They combine different metals there. It's also maybe the reason Japanese knives are that angle goes back to swordsmanship versus European swordsmanship. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of the same technologies carry over between the two. And so when people don't need swords as much anymore, it's pretty a uh, pretty good way to stay in business is to transition over into making knives. Yeah. I mean, as far as what we know about this, this Masamune guy too, like most of it is just, it's usually a legendary sword in some sort of fiction for us. Whereas it's actually a real thing, like a real person making, a, you know, this real brand of swords basically. And uh, weren't they like like super sought after as well? Yeah, they became uh, very much sought after, especially later on, um, especially like during the Warring States period, um, and then into the Tokugawa period. But of course, he was you know very famous. Uh, he originally lived in the thirteenth, early fourteenth century, and you know one of the um, the great myths that people uh, hear about or know about, especially from the FF games, is. Masamune versus Muramasa. Yep. And, you know, Muramasa is the evil sword. Masamune is the pure, the sort of good. Yeah. But they actually didn't live in the, you know, it's, it's a very famous story where, uh, you know, they put uh, Muramasa and Masamune's swords uh, next to each other in a stream. And uh, Muramasa's sword cuts right through fish as they swim through the stream. And Masamune's doesn't cut through any fish. And so at the end of this competition, Muramasa is very uh, proud of himself because, look, you know, I've, I've bested uh, Masamune. My sword can cut through the fish um, so easily he couldn't cut through any. And then the monk who judges the competition uh, says, well, actually, you lose because Masamune was able to distinguish between what it should and shouldn't cut. And yours would just cut through everything. He's got a smart blade. Yeah, I really like that story, actually. Like, the one I've heard also includes, like, leaves and, like, basically everything that traveled downstream got cut. But, uh, yeah, that one's actually a pretty good one. It's it, Although it kind of sounds like the monk's just pulling stuff out of his ass. It sounds like he the monk totally was on one person's side instead of the other person's side. <laughs> right. Yeah, a little bit, you know. But also, but, I mean, how does one guy's sword cut through everything, leaves, fish, whatever, and the other guy's cut through nothing unless it's purposely dull, so. Or it could just be the chance of like nothing passing by it, you know, depending on where it was in the stream. But I mean, that's just an over, over analytical uh, brain, like trying to like look at the story and try to make sense of it the, the way that we want to, like the, the actual idea of what's going on here is that when you make a weapon, you don't make the weapon with the intent to kill just, just for the fact that it exists as a tool if you need it. And it doesn't just like needlessly cut down everything in front of it. it it's, it's more of a, it's more of like a parable than anything else right. like it, you're supposed to like learn something from it that's right at least that's it, what i get out of it yeah. and you know and they lived in completely different centuries so it never happened see i don't know i always think of it oh okay well there you go i think of it in a different manner whereas the entire purpose of the sword whether it's for offense defense for quote good or quote bad it is to kill it is a weapon designed to maybe not necessarily outright kill but it is designed to at least maim it is designed to, to inflict harm to accomplish a task. They use force to accomplish something. 
So it's it's you know it may be an art form and this or that, but at the end of the day, it's it's a amplitude of one's abilities in delivering force to a designated uh, you know target. So yeah, there's no getting so around the swords. Bullets. Swords don't kill people, man. People kill people. <laughs> yeah, with swords. <laughs> Use your bare hands. It's still your hands are to amplify, you know, amplify your force. It could be a sword, it could be anything. End of the day, it's it's used to you know direct your will. It's kind of the the point of the story is that you should moderate how you how you uh, choose to pursue your vengeance. And you know, I'm talking about cutting indiscriminately. So during the Tokugawa or the Edo period, when samurai there were a bunch of samurai who um, didn't have anyone to fight. They would have these great swords, but nowhere to use them. So one of the popular pastimes for samurai was to go to the execution grounds. And uh, when someone was uh, given the death penalty, the body would still be there. And you would have these samurai come out and pile the bodies on top of each other and use their swords to see how many people they could cut through. (laughs) Uh, uh, Wow. I don't... I, I can't see wanting to use a sword so bad that, that I need to like pile corpses up to cut through them. Like that—that that seems like there's other issues going on. I don't know. It's honestly. like it's like how people like to shoot guns now. You know, the same thing, just with swords. Yeah, but you don't pile up corpses and then shoot at the corpses. Well, I'm sure you could. I mean, people put ballistic gel in front of something to see how far a rifle will go through it or something. It's no different. Just using a corpse. There's no like gel or something at the time. Yeah, but it's still not a corpse. Yeah, but what's that? They don't know that person. What's it to them? It's just, you know, they are interested in, in their swordsmanship. They don't care about the corpse. The corpse is just, uh, you know, it's it's like putting gas in your car. Yeah, and people had a different relationship with uh, violence and death back then in general. Yeah, I imagine. Like, it was a pretty big pastime in Europe to go and watch a hanging. Yes. Witch! She's a witch! <laughs> something to do. Here, you're going to want this bag. Just put her around your neck don't ask questions my favorite is the guy at the salem witch trials you know they're putting stones on him oh, and his, his last words more wait and his chest cavity collapses yeah yeah so massive is pretty good sword in games today yeah yes i mean that that's that's what i hear as well i, I don't own one myself but uh i i always see people do fudo stuff fudo and- stuff and all they do is spam Fudo, and it's it's kind of underwhelming a lot of the time. Oh, <laughs> good people say it is, as all spam is. Well, and it's just it's just throwing away so many tools that Samurai gets right, like the skill chain. The fact that it has it's, has the ability to skill chain pretty much anything, and it has all the skill chain bonus, and and it's built around it. And but instead, they're just spamming Fudo, like a certain um, person who runs another podcast. Oh. Yeah. Oof. Well, to be fair, I, I also spam Savage Blade, so... Well, no, no see, the difference is the, the way the job's built and balanced. Samurai yes. is built to gain TP rapidly with a lower damage heavy DD weapon in order to utilize that in a more tactical manner. It's not a warrior. It's not a dock knight. It's, it's not any of those things. It's meant to go out and, you know... You know, would you like to suck my cock berserker? You know, it's not meant to do those things. It's it's meant to wow. it's meant to be a little more uh, powerfully, you know, 
able to deliver a finesse to a situation, not necessarily go out and, and skull fuck. That's, you know. So when you spam Fudo, it's disappointing generally. It means you get the wrong job yeah. there. Yeah, Mass is a Mass is a pretty strong sword, but I mean that's all you typically see Sam's do once they have one. Also, you see Samurai. I'm actually a big fan of. What's that? I say also you see Samurai's get AM3 and Odyssey and insist that they run around and not change weapons because AM3 is on. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I definitely. Yeah, see, that. that's that's the correct response, Avedius. That's 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 the Felgar needed response. <laughs> Where they intentionally forget their shining ones so they don't have to switch weapons. Yeah, I got an AM3. AM3. It's really frustrating. So, so I've actually been using Samurai more recently. <laughs> intentionally. Um, in yeah. And, and yeah, so Masumune, like, this is a good place where Masumune shines, right? Like, we talked about in our last JP episode, right? Which is nice because you do the white damage after mm-hmm. weapon skill. You do just amount, enough damage to kill a mob. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but shining one is so good too. Delivers it, the it, same sort of utility, especially against stuff like Lamia. Yeah, and you you can and you just hold the TP like you get the same effect just by holding the TP to you know twenty five hundred plus, and then one shotting something right. It's way more reasonable for a samurai to pull off too. Yes, that's using the job in a more appropriate fashion. And AM3, it's like, is there any job that's easy, that is an easier job of getting AM3 than Samurai? Dragoon? Really? No. Dra- yeah, Dragoon. I mean, maybe Dragoon, yeah, because Soul Jump is crazy. Yes. But. And keep in mind, Dragoon gets the same everything that a Samurai will in terms of having high JA haste higher and more multi attack and stuff on its gear with that store TP on its gear as well to then the jumps take advantage of that. It's easiest to get AM3 on. Yeah. I think the only thing with Dragoon in, in Odyssey sea farming, though, is that it, you know, unless you're using Savage Blade, the Rongomians, you have a problem with the, with the white damage. Uh, Shining one would excel there, but yeah, Rongo would be. That's actually an interesting case of Rongo being optimal for that. And that's, I'm not building one for that, but I could definitely see wanting to I'm use not it. Either. Yeah, I could see wanting to use it, especially because Shining one will handle it the same way. You have, right. you have more power in a samurai there, so a Shining one would handle it just as well. And Savage yeah. Blade. Yeah, Savage Blade. A weapon, a weapon I've always liked for Sam is actually the Doji, the, the Aeonic. Yeah. Uh, that one feels like it's what Samurai should be doing. And, and like, the, the playstyle with it is, like, still interesting, and it's still strong. Like, it, it's it's roughly the runner-up to, to Massa, like, and it's pretty interchangeable depending on what you're trying to do. Like, if your focus is on, like, multi-step, then typically the uh, the Doji actually edges it out sometimes. But uh, not always, of course. But it, it just seems like that's the sort of thing like the samurai should be doing instead of trying to pretend they're a warrior and just going for like just all fudo spam all the time. So I, I really like that weapon, aside from how easy it is to get, obviously, because that's why I have it. I just made it randomly um, because Aeonics are easy. But uh, it, it just it just seems like that that's what you should be doing on the job. Like you should focus on skill chains, gives you TP bonus, um, enhances skill chain damage. It just Seems like it does everything you want to be doing. Then along came a spider. <laughs> yeah, I think before segment farming became a thing, I would, you know, having both, I would use Doji actually probably a lot more often than Massa. Which was still just because of like you said. I could just see that. you know taking advantage of the multi like when I want to, when I'm on Samurai, I want to take advantage of the multi-step skill chains. If I want to like, you know, not do that, I'll just choose another job. Yeah. 
Well, part of it is also what the Samurais are surrounded with nowadays, too. Like, you always see, like, a bunch of DDs and a party super buff, right? So if everyone is next to you just spamming whatever weapon skill they do the most damage with, then all you can really do is spam the weapon skill you do the most damage with because it'll be very rare that you can skill chain efficiently with them. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some world where, like, you could, where you could, like, step into like this next level gameplay where all of a sudden you're just like auto skill chaining with everything around you like i try to do that on a lot of jobs but it's just usually going to be suboptimal we did that in divergence on one mob after you know we both paid attention for like an hour 40 minutes and then it had one mob lined up or you know we we both ran away from the group skill chain together and it wasn't coordinated we just kind of both did it the same moment on the same mob yeah because we know how skill chains work yes (laughs) And, you know, that next level gameplay is, in fact, just spamming Fudo, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, obviously Doji's going to lose if it just boils down to please just spam Fudo because you have no hope of ever, you know, making that uh, Tashi Shoha actually work or, you know, it's not going to be as strong. I'm glad that they managed to get Samurai to that level where it feels very balanced in that way. Yeah. The meta kind of leaves it behind until you see, like, a proper Odyssey video where they use skill chains appropriately on a net. Well, I mean, the problem in Odyssey, NMs don't take skill chain damage for shit, though. Like, air body and stuff, but, you know. Yeah, Samurai gets hurt by two things. Well, three things, I think, in Odyssey NMs. Uh, um, the first is the fact that you can't abuse Overwhelm on the two mobs. Well, yes. you can, I guess you could use Mboze, um, Mboze, but um, Kalunga is a no. <laughs> yeah, it's very much a no. Uh, and and then it doesn't get smite, so it has low attack to begin with compared with the other two-handed DD job. And when I do the math for uh, for like stuff like Columbia and stuff like that, um, I have a dude that I want on Samurai a lot of the time, and he's actually the reason why um, the buffs don't line up most of the time. Like when when, when my math shows that he should be getting stronger results out of Gecko instead of Fudo, then there's a, probably a problem, and and that's usually. Yeah what ends up happening when you're doing like a three boss farm yeah and the last is like it's they just take garbage skill chain damage you know yeah that's the biggest problem because something yeah. like odin the first strategy that everyone was trying to do besides for the fact they were trying to imitate a certain someone was just trying to run in there and overpower odin before it could kill you uh, when it was brand brand new just spamming samurai skill chains and then you know that'd be the way to kill it in the same way <laughs> dying to dread spikes <laughs> yeah but yeah things like that happen but that was the same way for a lot of those newer lilith and everything those battlefields it was just you know, samurai skill chains kill things because skill chains are so powerful now which is good because it balances out very well where not having smite and not having those other lacking that power but having a way to deliver it strategically and, and, and you know in a way other jobs can't is or not as well because otherwise, if you're just going straight up and spamming Fudo, you might as well be on fucking Dragoon. That's fair. Yeah, I prefer my, being on Dragoon, then. My, my uh, very first VD Lilith win, actually, was applying Haydn as Samurai to multi-step Lilith. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way Lilith yeah, is too. Yeah, you just go kill it. Although, <laughs> although I wish it wasn't popular for the sake of everyone seeing someone make one video. Well, to be fair, I actually hadn't seen that video yet. It's just uh, this dude was our go-to DD in a lot of situations. So we were just like, apply, apply Hyden to it, see if he kills it. Is this a certain band cheater? <laughs> yeah. Someone's like, you cracked the code. <laughs> he gets it. He knows. What, he's from a neck of the woods where he understands the game. <laughs> yeah. 
He may not have the, the thick, disgusting accent people keep commenting on. The one guy on a server keeps calling it a Jewsery accent, which apparently he can't spell it without saying Jew, a Jewsery accent. Um, he may not have that, but he understands the, uh, the subtleties of saying shit. Oh, that's got to be intentional. Come on. <laughs> I thought it was. It's so stupid, though. People are so dumb, I couldn't make sure. It's like one of the, uh, the QAnons, right? No, yeah, I don't know. It's in it was in our yells of the Sarah a couple times now because it's stupid. But as all good garbage is in either the Abjects Trash channel or the yells of a Sarah channel in the Discord. It's such treasure troves, oh, gifts they keep on giving. Very special, if no dragoon for camp. So where were we with? We covered Doji and Masa for the better part, but then when I said along came a, along came a spider. You know, we're talking about how good those weapons are and how well they suit the job and this and that. And, uh, and then the mono. How about a mono? Yeah. It's a weapon. It, it is a shorter weapon, yeah. For a good reason. <laughs> it, uh, uh... Okay, so a mono used to be really, really, really great. And yeah. now, though, the, the problem is it, it's a relic weapon. Most, most relic weapons have the same issue where it's, it's this, like, copy-paste across the board on, like, how all their weapon skills work and, like, how almost all their aftermaths work and stuff like that. Like they, it, it doesn't gain anything that the other two weapons can't just do better most of the time. Um, so even like, like the, the dude I'm talking about, who's usually our samurai. Um, he, he has no mono also. Um, he almost never uses it, but he lock styles it because he likes old school lock styles. But I have actually seen him use his, uh, Yoichi Yumi more than, uh, more than his mono because it actually has a use when he's weakened. He's just down with the Kyoto. I guess. It just no no TP scaling. It just you know in a job that gets that is known for its TP gain, it just really hurts. Yeah, yeah. There's no TP overflow, so uh, Kitan doesn't do anything special on its own. Um, if Shoha didn't exist, maybe there might be a better niche for it with fragmentation. Um, but because that does exist, it's like like a weird overlap. Yeah. And it doesn't even get the attack bonus, right? No, actually. In fact, you want to feed relic weapon skills uh, tons of attack if possible, because they have like no. There's almost nothing that, that goes into it. Plus, a mono, I believe, is an accuracy based one. It doesn't get yes. like, the plus sixty attack. Yeah, because all the great weapons are, are mm. accuracy. So man, Dow. it's like yeah. So a mono is like extra attack starved on a job that's already attack starved. So it kind of creates a problem. I mean, you know, it made sense back in the day when two-handed jobs were just had this terrible accuracy. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, with people not reaching haste caps and stuff that we take for granted now, you know, having that extra accuracy in every hit count actually mattered. Like, we really liked the fact that we had Namano Sam in our group at 75 because he at least could hit mobs, and that's where the skill chains came from. That's why we, we liked having it. But uh, nowadays, it's kind of like tapered off, and, and it's one of the ones I think in most need of fix. Yeah, like but, an aftermath that gives like five store TP, like how anemic on a job. That's no, no, no. The, the fix was that aftermath of ten store TP and ten zanshin. Oh, that's what it was. Ten <clears throat> store. TP. Yeah, and ten zanshin for zanshin. And it was always funny because a mono, its effect is to decrease the enemy's attack, and uh, yeah, why? Which you I know, I think zanshin gets injury. a bit uh, overblown. I use the build because I'm a novice samurai. Like my samurai is like. It's pretty. It's okay geared, but like Zan also is just what I have. It's not master or anything. So 
Yeah. But, you know, it's just mathematically, if you go off of the fact that it's 25% of your Zanshin, and you've got a very hard cap on that, there are just limitations to where you can stack it. Yeah. It it always seemed suboptimal to me. But I just didn't have the the gear at the time I was playing Samurai more. Like, I I haven't gotten on my Samurai since, like, all the Impaka gear came out. And it's not even 500 for Kendetsuba. Like, I could get it to 500 real quick. Even in Pop, but, uh, it feels like it's more for Monk and Pop than it is for uh, yeah. Sam, which is, you know, they got the Rune Fencer treatment there. Like, in Pocket Head's really good. The head um, is amazing. Well, yeah. yeah it, the, the rest of it is, like, super, it's extra medium, if you will. It's and, equally uh, amazing for all those jobs, though, for how it works for their weapon skills, Howling yeah. Fist and everything. Yeah, for Howling Fist and stuff, it, it's hands down just really gross. And if you can slap a circle effect on them, it gets pretty, even more gross. Like, yeah, it's a... Uh, Nice for stringing pummel if you're starved too, which you do run into. Mm-hmm. It's got crit rate on it too. So, what's more disappointing, the Koga or Amanamurakuma? So, I have no experience witnessing people with Koga, but I honestly don't think Koga's going to be as bad as people say it is because it's like, it, it, from what I understand and what I've read, um, people can like spam the hybrid weapon skills with it, and it's supposed to do great stuff like it's supposed to be like really good for jinbu so where would you apply that so at least it's better than a mono in the in the not just because of third eye but i i guess that's the problem like uh, in your notes here um i i saw something about uh it being criminally underused for sealed fate and i imagine like that probably has something to do with like third eye but um koga augments that it makes it better in some way i i honestly don't remember what it does off the top of my head but um, it's, it's more of a mystery because like you almost never see people with Kogas doing anything Koga related. By the time Delve came out, before they adjusted weapon skills, Koga was regarded still by that point, even before then, of course, as like one of the best mythics to make. Everyone wants to make Koga. It's so good. Da, 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 da. And then it kind of when they adjusted weapon skills and when Delve was newer, it just kind of like fell off the face of the earth at that point because all the other stuff got better. Yeah, and even for hybrid weapon skills, I don't know. It- Without the TB bonus, no magic damage. It's the it's it was supposed to be for like the multi attack to get to higher TB thresholds, is what I understood of it. Okay, I, I don't know if I'm completely sold on it because I've never sat down and been like, "Hey, what's the math on this look like?" And you know, let me go make one myself. Um, and I probably never will, so I, I I can honestly just speculate. But like, that's what I've seen people talk about, and I've never actually seen one of these things out in the wild, except someone like running around in town with one every once in a blue. Like, I've never seen one actually drawn and attacking something. Yeah, you see Vajra more than you see Koga. Yeah. Speaking of which, I'm about 4k Alex away. Ooh. Oh, man. Ooh. I think Koga is, and Koga and Amano, I guess, are also in a similar niche where they're very good-looking weapons. They're probably the best-looking. I don't know if Amano looks that good. Mm. It's, a it's too straight. It looks like a relic, but it's just rather unremarkable in the fact that it's like, wow, that's really short for a Greek katana. I'm a sucker for the seven-bladed katanas. I think they're cool. I feel like every time you tell a samurai his weapon looks short, it'd be like, it all depends on how you use it. Ooh. Well, if you're a taru, the do- doji drags through the ground all the time. Does it? That's awesome. Yeah. That's a lack of design. It's not a very big Greek katana either. They just didn't size it right for taru. Yeah. Well, all of the Aeonic weapons, like, if you really look at them, they, they seem 
improperly sized, like model wise. Like, have you ever like looked at the sequence and like really looked at it and compared it to, like a great? It sword? does. It does looks too large, and it's definitely. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of work to make that large and in charge in, in any sort of niche situation. So, and then like God hands are comically way too huge. Uh, God hands oh, are fine, in my opinion, because they're big, big weapons for hand to hand. I think they look stupid. Eh. Like most Ionic weapons look really dumb. The, the the Doji is at least appropriately sized. It just looks really strange, and it doesn't look like a great katana. Which I don't really know why they went in that direction. Trishula. Right, it's like a foraged blade. Oh, the door. It looks like a square, square-shaped blade. Yeah, it, it's it looks like an obelisk on a handle. So, now that we mention it, because we didn't mention it, but we mentioned something that made me think of it. When Pandemonium Warden launched, and that great katana was like the coolest looking thing ever. Do you remember the story behind that? Without me having to pull it up, or is that isn't that like one of the treasures of Japan or something? Like the yeah, the the seven bladed sword or whatever. I, I honestly don't know everything about it, but I think it's supposed to be like some sort of big important thing, right? Seven branched sword. Yeah. Hold on, let me look this up. Like I think I've seen it called like Heaven Sword before too. Um, uh, let's see, seven branched sword. Yeah, it is seven branches. The Hepburn or the Shishizito is a sword of continental manufacture believed identical with the artifact of that name, a present of the king Baekje? B-A-E-K-J-E? I can't fucking pronounce that. I, I went to public school, okay? That was granted upon a Yamato ruler as a present, uh, which is mentioned in the Nihon Shoki in the 52nd year of the reign of the semi-mythical Empress Jinju. So it sounds like it ties to Korea. And Japan, um, hmm. the 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 original sword has been conserved since antiquity in the Ishonakami Shrine in Narara Prefecture, Japan, and is not on public display. An inscription on the side of the blade is an important source for understanding the relationship between the kingdoms of Korean Peninsula and Japan in that period, which okay. which I believe would probably go back to uh, Japan's long history of empire and what was it during the Edo period or whatever when they went to war with Korea and it was terrible and also Manchuko during World War One, Two. Well, was after World War One, it was in the thirties, I believe. It was Manchuko? Yeah, thirty-one is when they invaded Manchuria. Although they were they were there after the Russian Sino, I'm sorry, the Russo-Japanese War in 1905. Um, they basically used the Southern Manchuria Railway Company as a foothold in Manchuria. But anyway, before that, so this is very ancient Yamato, like the earliest Japanese state. And in this time period, it's actually Korea that's the much uh, uh, greater cultural and economic power. And so this is kind of a source of the longstanding enmity between Japan and Korea. It's like, like Koreans say, you know, we've, we gave you all this culture. You know, Buddhism came through Korea. The Chinese characters came through Korea, all this kind of stuff. And then the Japanese, you know, so yeah, in the 16th century, they invade Korea. Um, and then again, you know, um, in the late 19th, early 20th century, they invade Korea, turn into a colony. It's kind of a longstanding thing. So looking at like the, the real life sword that exists of this thing, like it has not aged well. Well, it's made of yeah. iron. That's ceremonial. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but but I mean, just like craftsmanship wise, 
like I don't know if it's like malformed over time, but like even the branches don't seem as even as you think they would be for something this uh that's supposed to be this important. Like, I mean, it was probably difficult to make just because you have like all of these like weird offshoots and stuff that, you know, weren't really forged into swords. But um it just uh it, it doesn't seem as impressive as some of the other blades that get put on display, honestly. I'd imagine the sea air has warped it over time as well, so it probably looked a lot more impressive in its day, and just just the sea air alone in those countries probably. It's iron. Yeah, and this is like 1,800 years old. You know, yeah. iron working was a lot uh, less developed back then. And, oh, yeah, and, yeah. And then, and I, yeah, just the ravages of time. And, and I imagine that, too. It's just I. Like they they really do a good job of like dressing it up when they like remake it for like game models and stuff. That's for sure. Because I I just really like the look of it. Like you don't see it very often. Like you almost see everyone always using like the pulse weapon with like the, the lightning strikes when you hit that that I have. I just don't use. And then um, you also see people like lock styling mass immunes all the time. And honestly, that sword kind of looks like a can opener. I'm not like the biggest fan. <laughs> I, um, I would use it if I played Sam. I just don't play Sam. It is flashy. Also looks like a can opener. <laughs> um, but but I I really like the seven bladed swords like both the the, the black one and the the gray steel one like they, they both look really good Fox. honestly but the fact that it looks like a can opener is the greatest thing because then when you take out your weapon every single time you can say I'm gonna open a can of whoop ass on you I really hope not are you, gonna, are you gonna level are, are, well you already I think you already have a Sam level. Yeah, like I are, have the. Are level. you gonna play Sam? So no, that you no. Can incorporate that macro. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Did I? I told you that my first real macro that I like to use all the time was uh, my suck my third eye. That was that was a great oh, one back no. in the day. Oh, no. Oh, no. But yeah, can of whip ass. Uh, is this your engage macro with a slash P? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> oh, that's gross. That's, that's a provoke macro, of course. Oh, that's harmful. Oh, I think the greatest macro I ever saw was so long ago in um, Saruta Baruta, where there was this Galkin monk like leveling. I don't know, it was like level five or something, and he had a slash EM. Um, I guess when he weapon skilled, and it's um, it said fucking lays T out with one Galkin punch. <laughs> the combo was more punches. Wow. All right, man. How about uh, <laughs> my favorite macro I ever saw was. I don't know if it was in the Pandemonium server or not. It's probably as soon as they merged later on with Asura. Nonetheless, it was, it was that time frame back then. And whenever the guy would cast with the semi, it would be, why am I so Ichi? It's <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, great. It's great. So we're missing one that's on this list here, and that's the Hachimanji. And I've talked about it before, and I still stand by the fact that that's a ninja great katana. Yeah, covered it. It's it's not a it it, I, it doesn't seem that great for Sam because it it like enforces a lot of double attack and I think Sam's actually want to uh, double down on triple attack if I remember right based on how their TP builds work. Right. Yeah, so it gets really awkward like forcing so much double attack on you. So it just seems like a it's definitely a stopgap weapon. I think it's fine. Like I'm not saying it's trash or anything because it does damage. Um, it's great for ninja, obviously. But um, as far as Sam goes, like, I, I don't know, like, use it and then stop using it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you, you, you're fighting something that's all, only weak to slashing, like, Shiny One will do you much better on Sam until you get a, an Aeonic. Yeah, 
yeah, and it's honestly just a better investment anyway because you're still going to use Shining One after you get a massive or massive unit, whatever. So it's it's never going to like completely be replaced like Hachimaji is. Although I think I did see a, a really funny JP video where someone stacked so much store TP that they were like forcing quad attacks all the time. Forcing quad attacks? That's pretty cool. I I mean maybe that's good. Probably not practical. I mean it's just it's, it's just a gimmick. I mean, from, from what I understand, like it keeps its normal TP per hit, though. Yeah. So I don't even know if that gives you like one K TP if you quad, but maybe. I don't think so. Yeah, it gets kind of weird. Oh man. Oh god, Graham just posted. Oh, by the way, when I was trying to say last time, uh, the guy's uh, name in Discord, he told me it's just uh, some. I forget what he said. His regional area was uh, it's in their way of spelling gram essentially uh he, he posted that uh like we make fun of reddit for a second but it'll be our last off-topic segment here he said people will upvote anything and someone has posted a hoodie of a final fantasy print where they just put something put the the logo over their hoodie and just gets upvotes on reddit because that's all reddit does is upvote things anyway i it just it came across the screen while we're doing it i, I couldn't help but get distracted <laughs> that's right if something happens on reddit spicy's there it's just it's a dumpster fire i'm enamored with how bad it is i have actually muted our general and abject trash channel have you yes because i just do not give a shit about reddit i'm tired of it beeping and then telling me only reddit things i have to mute the discord when i drive uh, places so it doesn't interrupt my music by people talking about anything that's going on. I'm just like, oh, I gotta mute it. Makes I sense. just I just don't have notifications for Discord. And then I look when I have time. It's probably the better way of handling it, honestly. Because this thing is always going off. Mm. Yeah, I found that out after like the first week or so. So, like, by uh, the way, guys, this episode of WTF and Von and Deal is brought to you by Royal Bakery's Boston Obelette Cream Pies. This week only, buy one, get one sale. Also brought to you by Chateau de Orgueville, or whatever, winery. The Chateau's winery. Try our 1869 Crystal Era Blue Peas. This is a Moscato made from the finest Sandorian grapes. Try it if you can find it. Or whatever. At a fine retailer near you? See, this is what this is why Spicy can't do ads anyway, because like you throw or whatever in there, and it's like, oh well, we're not paying you. <laughs> I can't. Looks like, looks like he went off script. Chateau de or whatever. It's like you ever see the Orson Welles uh, commercial outtakes? I have not. He's, he's like, this is like late stage Orson Welles, where he's uh, you know not in good shape. He's alcoholic, <laughs> but they haven't filmed him. They they haven't filmed this commercial for uh, what was it? Uh, Paul Masson? I think it's a uh, wine. Paul Masson oh, no. is a brandy. Yeah. Brandy, <laughs> and <laughs> it's not good brandy. And you should look. Oh, it, just so many outtakes, and you know he's very clearly drunk already. And you know he's supposed to start <laughs> start his line by saying, "Ah, the grapes," or, or something like, and. Uh, halfway through, like by the tenth take, it's like, Argh! it's just yeah. like just ridiculous. Are you comparing Snores. me to a drunk, old, decrepit Orson Welles, sir? I think so, man. No, you're the Citizen Kane, Orson Welles. Oh, why? Thank you. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> I don't know if that shoe fits. <laughs> it depends on the light you look at it with. <laughs> Just turn the lights way down low. So I... That's how I find the blue peas, baby. Oh, yeah. I, I appreciate in the outline how we have... You wrote here, Never underestimate the power of a long, pointy stick. Alexander the the Swiss Pike Square, and the Samurai Naginta. Naginata? Naginata. Which also, if we want to go back to the young internet here, Naginta, Naginta. Naginta. Uh-huh. It was a meme. Uh, Where's my Naginta? I don't know. I don't know this meme. <laughs> you don't want to know this meme? <laughs> it, it's, it's like lost on everyone. It's, it's just very old deadpan. I, you ought to just put in Naginta. Or Niganata. <laughs> we know why they're using it. It's it's supposed to. Uh, anyway, if someone uses a meme but no one gets the reference, is it still a meme? No, it's just old Orison <laughs> Wells. If, if a meme falls in a exactly. forest, if Spicy says something stupid, hey, at least it wasn't racist. It, it almost <laughs> got there. It almost got to the post office on that one. Got lost in the mail on the way. Spicy so good at community relations. Oh, the best, believe me. So, is there any other lore or anything, the samurai, that we want to tie in here to the game, or anything that has been missed here? Because I think we covered the outline. Or if we want to completely destroy your outline further. Oh, yeah, it was destroyed. This was a, a train wreck. Yeah. It, it, was, it was a pretty nice write-up, too, like, as I far know, as, yeah. like, this is what we should do. Yeah, samurai begun his mercenaries to expanding noble estates. Yeah. I think I'm not allowed to ask questions like at the start. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what caused it. The uh, Yoichi no Yumi, you know, the legend of Nasu no Yoichi. Oh yeah, we didn't cover that. No, we didn't. It was so well written. Yeah, this great uh, yeah archer who um, you know they hang a fan on a, a ship and they challenge him to shoot his arrow through it, and he does it in one shot. And Didn't then that, like prevent a battle or something. Or am I thinking something else? I think they were fixing to, to war. You know, if I could properly put it with a Japanese accent without sounding uh, post office on it, I would uh, combine like a JoJo here into uh, Hey Man, Nice Shot. <laughs> nice Shot. But yeah, the, the, the really interesting thing is that the... Uh, I think the translation for the weapon skill, I don't know if you can, you can even translate it very well. Because, so yeah, it's namase arrow. But in Japanese, um, it's namu hachiman, which is the start of the prayer, like the first four lo- uh, words of the prayer that Nasu no Yuichi said as he shot the, before he shot the arrow. He's like praying to the god of archery, or bodhisattva. That's pretty sweet, actually. Yeah, whenever I pray, I don't get any fucking answers. <laughs> well, maybe you should take up archery. Yeah, that way I could hurt something. But then I look at the Olympic archery, and they have so many attachments on their bows now. I actually just watched a thing on uh, uh, on just archery, like a couple, a couple, like short episodes on archery, and like the first episode I watched was on like why the they drop the bows and the why they rock at the end, and. Uh, the other one was why they have so many attachments on it and stuff. And I guess it makes sense. It just never really occurred to me that, yeah, they're there to make it heavier. So that, that way you don't have, have as much mm-hmm. sway. 
and then they they drop it because you're not actually like holding the bow. You're just kind of like resting there based on the physics of your motion. Because if you like grip it, it causes your your aim to go all over the place. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like wasted effort to hold it in place after. Yeah. Huh. And you can actually end up like leading the shot somewhere else with it. Huh. It's incredible how people learn these things. Because you know, I just if I pick the ball up, I just like hold it and shoot and. It makes a lot more sense to not hold the bow if you can just support the bow to fire. Yeah. Kind of and like, you're basically just like dropping it. The only thing that's keeping it in their hand is they have this like finger sling thing or wrist sling that's just literally attaching the bow to them. Um, but yeah, outside of that, they just don't even hold it really. Probably like why a crossbow is so much easier and more accurate because you don't have to apply different forces to it. You just point and shoot. I don't think it's more accurate though. It's not? I figured no. it was going to sway. Well, I mean, at a certain range, it's probably definitely a short-range accuracy versus long-range. A bow is probably much more accurate long-range. Well, yeah, a crossbow definitely. can really only do very short ranges. Yeah, a bolt's a lot different than an arrow. I'd imagine like, there's... I think a lot of it's just in the vessel. I'd imagine there's less force in the way it's delivered because there's... it's you know, Like, a bow is a long drawback to gain more force in, in the... You know, the delivery of the arrow there versus the crossbow is a smaller winds back, you know, and it's it's just like a wind-up thing. There's only so much force you can put in that versus the bow is a much larger and powerful object, I suppose. Yeah, I think you could think of the crossbow as an early gun in the sense that you don't need as much training as with a regular bow. So you could just sort of put it in the hands of any infantry member and they can wind it up and point and shoot. Were crossbows a thing in Japan? Because it just kind of seems like it goes from bows to guns. Yeah, they were a thing, but I, I don't think that they were... Um, so, you know, guns, before guns were imported, I don't think that they were really... They really caught on. Huh. Must Somebody be. probably imported a crossbow at some point and was like, oh, okay, cool. And the story of the, you know, the importing of the gun is is pretty interesting because there's this, uh, this Portuguese guy, uh, Fernandes who claimed to have imported the first gun to Japan. And he was he was friends with uh, Francis Xavier, apparently. And I think that this is real. Uh, but as far as the gun, probably not. But a- anyway, he has this like he has this whole memoir called The Peregrination. Um, and it's just full of these tall tales. Like he starts off by saying that he was that was seven times made captive and nine times sold as a slave. No, oh, geez. And, so, and apparently there's like a line in Portuguese uh, where, uh, you know, Fernal Mendes Pinto, and they turn it into Fernal Mentes Minto, which is like, Fernal, are you lying? Yes, I lie. Yeah. Like, usually when there's like some sort of arbitrarily huge number tied to a story, like in some capacity, it's, it's usually somebody's like stretching something a little bit. Yeah. Nine times a captive. What did they feel like? Um, sand? Well, I mean, compared to his other movies, there's nowhere to go but up. It's fair. You know, I'm disappointed that you couldn't fight on chocobos in this game, because then they could add a samurai on like the horse and everything. And Isn't the next expansion bringing Chocobo Knight? I thought that was coming out in the Wings of the Goddess one, man. I just don't know what happened. It just seems to be uh, on the back burner. Maybe it's going to come up with monstrosity updates. Oh, you didn't hear about the secret unlock that no one ever figured out until now? Oh, I thought it was for Time Mage. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it was. I, I could be misremembered. It's funny. It's chemists will come before all of them. 
I really want chemists to be a thing. It so should be. It would be so perfect for the game. I would throw so much gill away on chemists. Well, like you throw it on every way and everything else. I mean, geez, look at your pup. All that wasted it's money. True. It's true. It's got all the attachments. Guy can't even. All the <laughs> attachments. Wow. I feel bad. Dude, not even prior chemistry on Reddit was able to get all the attachments. He only had like 9 out of 10, you know, percent. It's unfortunate. 420 blazer. <laughs> I'll never get back. I don't know if there's anything else to cover otherwise. I don't I think, think so. I think we covered it. It's just interesting to hear about, you know, this job that we overly romanticize and, you know, uh, how it like, applies to the game. There's not much that we could go into in depth wise on like how the job plays, mostly because at least two of us don't play samurai, even though we have it leveled. Um, and Bippin didn't want to come on to do samurai. So with someone, you know, this is our first time doing a lore one for a job. I think yeah. we uh, we did well enough. I think next time I would uh, I would be like you know less myself and more to the point of not derailing us as much as I do. And hopefully deliver more lore because it was good. I was a lot better in our last lore episode because it was actually about lore. Yeah. So I like that. That was good. And you know our uh, our advertisers. You know they uh, they got their little bit in. There's there's more here. I just you know haven't gotten to with those. But I'm appreciating that one was from Cavill. The uh, the buy one get one sale on Bostono Obelette's uh, cream pies because I can pronounce Bostono Obelette. I cannot pronounce the chateaus. You know, the Oragil, I don't know. Chateau. Chateau, baby. Pretentious wines. But otherwise, uh, you know, WTF and Vonadio has been brought to you in part by uh, Saran I. Virgo's newest classic, The Successor. Read the book that Vonadio Tribune calls the dullest story ever produced. And the Erostery claims is, quote, the worst drivel imaginable. Enjoy the new divine comedy, the successor, wherever books are sold. Oh, that's perfect for our podcast. Yes, I, I believe Zahn took our reviews on Reddit and made them into an uh, advertisement for us. Excellent. Perfect. But thank you again, uh, Vedius, for coming on. I appreciate your time and all of the weird things that were learned and talked about. <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. Anytime. I don't know if there's any other topics leading to the game and your amazing Asian histories mastery you're working on there, but... Well, we could just talk about the game. That is always possible. We have done that many times. But yeah, it would be fun. But this time you teach the mastery class in boring, so... <laughs> and sorry to yeah. anyone for any of the Discord yeah. dropouts tonight, and sorry, Foxco. No, there, there were quite a few. You Discord dropouts. I was actually going to mention that. Yeah, it was very bad. Yeah, yeah, it's very bad. So sorry about that, guys. But but uh, yeah, like anytime we can we can learn more about you know stuff behind the jobs to at least you know pique any kind of interest in that people have you know outside of this game. It's always a good thing. Um, I think history is pretty interesting. I just never get exposed to it as much as I would like to be, and I just for whatever reason can't read. So anytime something like this happens, like I'm usually like just too busy listening to what's happening to really add too many things that are intellectual because I just don't know history. Is that why we get along so well, Fox? Is because I don't read and you don't read, yet we both have an appreciation of history? Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. I'm also a very tolerant person. <laughs> the mystery's been solved. Yeah, a little bit. Well, I think you learn through the game 
It's, it's good for uh, tactile kinesthetic learners. That's true. What about uh, special needs learners like myself? Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, you want to play us out here, Fox? Yeah, I can do that. Uh, thanks again, Various. Uh, later, you guys.